Okay, let's call Josh here. There he is. Hello. Are we are we are we on? Or yes, because I still haven't done anything about um, having a preview line and a live line and all that. So everything <laughs> that okay. comes out of the main computer goes on to the. Uh, Goes out. So you know, one of the charming parts of this show is that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that um, people hear right from when I first call the guest. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Absolutely. That's uh. It's it's uh. It's unproduced and raw. That's what I like to call it. Yeah. Well, it's sort of produced before I post it, but I'm gonna try. And, Shh. Yeah. Everybody knows that I do editing on these. <laughs> you know. Um. Forgot what I was going to say. Oh, uh, the um, the thing today is that I was out um, all day um, trying to make money with a drone for like the second time in my life. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah. Do you, <laughs> this is a show about Josh Cutchin's new book of Brimstone Deceit. But you, do you want to know what I was doing to try and make that money? And it's not unsavory <laughs> or anything. Um, um, yeah, I, no, no, absolutely. I want to know. Of course I do. The assignment was to go out and shoot pictures of cell phone towers. Isn't that exciting? That seems super mundane. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> the only thing is they're surrounded by trees and telephone poles and stuff. And so I'm sitting there working with like, you know, a foot behind me and five feet in front of me trying to take pictures and making sure Who, it doesn't run into something. Who's foot some. was it, Greg? Huh? Whose foot was it behind you? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, I got to look at the pictures here and see what happened. Um, yeah, well, you know how it is. It, it, give it like a, a week's time, and then on uh, all the cryptozoology sites, you'll see, uh, you know, man spots Bigfoot with drone. Yes, you know, while filming cell phone satellites, cell phone, or cell phone towers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see. There, there's already people li- listening. Uh, Steve's already telling telling me to turn that down. For what? <laughs> Woo. Uh, I never, I never understood the turn down for what. Does that mean somebody has yelled at you and said, would you turn that shit down? It's too loud. And you yell back, turn down for what? All I know is the song. I don't know if it, I, I'm, I'm sure it has some sort of or, or, origins in the lingo, but I'm not that hip. Yeah, it's got to be. And I'm, 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 uh, I'm so far past even knowing what that shit is. So yeah. uh, uh, which, um, which Radio Mysterio, Mysterioso intro do you prefer? And you know the drill. Oh, you know which one I prefer, don't you? Yeah, yeah, the anti-ETH one. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, well, if you don't have to be sorry. Wait, let me turn up the... Um, ooh, I don't want to knock my beer even, over. Even even though the, the new book has the most uh, sympathetic ETH stuff I've ever written, ever. It didn't seem so sympathetic, but then, you know, maybe I've, I've just backed off being so pissed off about it. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's all in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, well, here we go. Let's see if this works. It's Greg. Yeah. Oh, is that the one you want? Is that, is that not the ETH, anti-ETH one? No? no, it's not the anti-ETH uh, one. We need... I'll, I'll take what I can get. It's okay. all good. It's, it's Radio Mysterioso. It's, yeah. all, it's all good. This whole domain, away from ideology, we're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that the um, that this that this phenomenon is um, comes from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information, and the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit a domain that's also pure information. Are we uh, 
There's a heavy hint. interested in the future for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives and remember my friend future events such as these will affect you in the future you are interested in the unknown the mysterious the unexplainable that is why you are here and now for the first time we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day we are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. No, we'll fade that one down. Here we go. You still there? Uh oh. Yes. No, oh. I'm still here. I'm still here. Oh God! Wake up. Um, turn down for what? Rhetorical question used by teenagers. Turn up is the act of getting drunk and high and being reckless. So to turn down would mean sobering up. Turn down for what is really saying, I am fucked up and will continue to be all night, no matter what. The only appropriate answer to this question would be nothing. Man, that's so much more confusing than I thought it would be. <laughs> Congratulations, everyone. On today, October 2nd, 2016, you heard the moment when Joshua Cutchin officially became old. Yeah, well, we could probably find a few others. I mean, that's for teenagers. I think you and especially me are well past that. But I'm glad to be able to look it up. Uh, and and uh, that I'm not a parent that has to figure that out. Actually, if I was a parent, I probably f- would have figured that out really quickly. I work with middle schoolers a lot, and so many times I get accused of making dad jokes. I'm like, I'm not a dad yet, guys. Come on. Give me a break. I took that um, that uh, kid, the 18-year-old, up to UC Santa Cruz because he didn't have a ride there, and he lives in West L.A. Right, and, right, uh, right. Yeah, I told you this. And when I got there, his roommate said, are you his dad? And I went, oh, no. <laughs> Please tell me no. <laughs> Please don't. No, I said. Uh, yeah, I, I said. I said. I do, I do. I look like that now. And the guy said, "No, no, no. You don't. You don't. Don't worry about it." It's like, yeah, I do. Cut it out. Look at all these groups. <laughs> I should join Wolf and Goat Forum. Apparently, I should join that. Uh, the fractal. Is it, is it Wolf? Is it Wolf and Goat or yeah. the Wolf and Goat? No, because wo- Wolf and Goat sounds. <laughs> that'd be even better. No, it's a Wolf ampersand Goat Forum. Uh, okay. Fractal Multiverse Open Group and Sin in Trandi- Transition, Hollywood's pre-code movies circa 1929 to 1934. These are recommended groups for me. How are you doing, Josh? Well, that sounds great. <laughs> no, it sounds like you, a, you know, every now and then the Facebook algorithm just like fails spectacularly, but that sounds pretty good. Yeah. The pre-code films, that sounds like it's, you know, right up uh, our proverbial alley. Yes, exactly. Considering how I had to change the uh, the rating of the show on on uh, 
what was it, <laughs> I, I, iTunes because of the uh, Dirty Blues song that... Uh, I'm never going to live that down. I'm never going to that down. <laughs> it's going to come up every time. Josh's first book was uh, Trojan Feast, which was about food associated with, um, well, paranormal, but mostly UFO-type uh, 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 encounters. This newest one that just came out, what, like a week ago? Something like that? You know, Five um, days? <laughs> yeah, so right now... That was rather quick. It's it's It came out, like, officially, I think you could purchase it on Amazon, but, like, with a sort of a back order um, caveat. Mm-hmm. They still don't have the the uh, cover art up yet, which is sort of befuddling. Um, I think. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I I linked it on the the uh, um, Facebook page, and nothing comes. It's a big blank spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I don't. I hope that's not anything too ominous. Um, I'm gonna have to reach out to them tomorrow. Um, yeah, Patrick said I should reach out to them through Author Central, but um, it's out now. You can buy it. It's just you won't be able to see it. <laughs> Go through my website so you can see the cover and all that shtick. Yeah. Um, but uh, Kindle should be out in the next week, I believe. So it's it's it is nigh. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, the brimstone deceit: an in-depth examination of supernatural sense, otherworldly odors, and monstrous miasmas. So you had a lot of fun uh, with the uh, alliteration dictionary, did you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go the, you know, the smells of spirits, UFOs, and Sasquatch, sort of like the last <laughs> book was. So I decided to, you know, be a little bit more playful with it. So if you look at the structure of the book, which is basically more or less spirits, UFOs, Sasquatch, other, yep. that's sort of mirrored in the subtitles, you know, supernatural sense, otherworldly odors, and monstrous miasmas. Yeah, well, it, it, it tells you a whole thing right up front. I did read the entire thing before... Um, putting a um, blurb, uh, sending a blurb late, as always, to uh, to Josh to put on the cover. I guess you for got which, one from... Huh? I was, I was just going to say, for which I am eternally grateful. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I sort of intimated some of this to you at Paramania, but it, it's really weird to go... Um, this is me blowing smoke up your backside, but like it's really what weird again? for me to go... Yeah, <laughs> again, for the 18th time. It's really weird for me to go from someone who has admired you to someone who has received such uh, kind words from you and i really do appreciate that you know it's 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 it's, my life has gotten really weird in all the right ways lately so i'm very very happy about that yes i i have no problem giving out uh compliments where they're due especially you know it's funny if you caught me like 20 years ago i would have been god i wish i wrote that book god damn it um and because it's it's a cool book and I like it, but the, uh, uh, as you get as the years go on, you just kind of like you know what? Uh, probably a healthy thing to do would be happy when somebody does something really cool, and celebrate it and be nice to them and 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 promote it for them and all that. So um, I know that sounds a little new agey and weird and all that, but it makes me feel better to try and you know push stuff that I like <coughs> instead of wonder why I didn't write it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, and it's it's, yeah, I, mean, it's I couldn't have written it. It's thoroughly done and very very well um, documented and footnoted and everything. In some ways, it sounds new agey. In some ways, it sounds like actual functional, healthy Christianity too. You know, it's like that's the way that we, I would like to think that's what the Christian ethic should be. Is you know, <laughs> let's yeah, well, be happy one of the other things. Yeah, so. well, it's a it's a it's you know, a, apart from that, a Christian or anything, it's a it's a moral ethic that um people should follow i mean it's it, it probably makes you feel better to celebrate other people's uh su- successes uh rather than be irritated by them um oh, yeah no, no doubt it transcends all sort of 
you know, I'd argue that even well-meaning atheists should be, you know, on that sort of same track too. I don't think yeah. that they all are, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't think atheists have. There's no. I don't think they have a problem with having a moral center. Um, the problem no, is when they no. start proselytizing their atheism. Then I proselytizing, I guess. But but you know, it, when they get, when they turn into assholes, that's when I shut off. Um, or when they or when they double down on like the social Darwinism aspect, which sometimes oh, they do. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I realize. Know. Yep. Yeah. Not you know it it as for people listening. Not that I that I'm any kind of I I'm not a very religious person. I I pre, I grew up in a you know a Christian and possibly slightly Buddhist household. Um, but, uh, I have, you know, I, that's why I don't really talk about religion too much on the show. I just have no, I have no quarrel with anybody unless they try to push it on me. If they try to push it on me, then I got a big quarrel. You know, it's funny that we're bringing this up because I was, so I, I finally got a, a copy of the book in my hands for the first time on like Tuesday. Pretty and amazing, huh? I mean, every time you get a new book, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I did this, like I did this. You know? Yeah. Here's the baby. Now I got to go. Now I got to send it through college. Yeah, Exactly. Um, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, but you know, I got like, I was, so I, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if you do this, but like you find yourself rereading the book now that it's actually a physical book in your hands. Yes. Every time. Because the sensation is different. And, um, yeah. And then you, and then you, if you, hopefully you don't find any mistakes. Yeah. So far so good. Knock on wood. Um, I I didn't see any. I mean, I was like, there was one in the, in a, in your, uh, on your site for uh, for the blurb from Pilkington, but other than that, I mean, I didn't see any. And I'm an I'm an eagle eye nasty um, uh, person <laughs> for proofreading. It's, well, uh, it's really easy when it's not your book. Well, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's always like it's just you, you you see the same thing over and over again, and your eye glosses over it. But so far, so good. Right. So I'm excited about that. But what I was uh, talking about was um, and it's a horse choker. It's like what three hundred? It's almost four hundred pages. Yeah, it's 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 a big boy. Um, let me let me let me pull it off my shelf here. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, well the 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 meat of the book is about three three fifteen or three seventeen or something like that. Yeah, so the acknowledgments page is the, is the last page after everything else. And that's three nineteen. Yeah, and then you have um, end notes take up until until like. 375 or something? Yeah, something ridiculous like that. So 319 to 375. No, so, yeah, so, sorry, 319 to 378 is foot is in notes, and then 379 to 379 to 423 is a reiteration of the bibliography in alphabetical order, and then 423 through 445 is indexed. So, it, it, is, yeah. it, is, it is thoroughly um, indexed, referenced, and uh, and uh, footnoted, so it th- and that that is um, that's actually kind of rare. I mean, to the extent that you did it, it's it's a very scholarly um, looking book. It's almost like it was written. It was a popular book written in a, a scholarly book written for a popular audience. That, that's well, how I describe I, 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 I it. I want to circle partially. back around. I want to circle back around to, to sort of the, the whole thing I was talking about earlier. But to, this is this is a fine tangent. Um, so my my mentor, one of my close mentors, is uh, David Zirkel from the University of Georgia, um, who uh, spent some time in the armed forces playing sousaphone for a living. Uh-huh. And he used to say that being he used to say that being a, a professional sousaphone player was like being the world's tallest midget. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you're really loud and nobody notices you. Is that what it is? Yeah, exactly. So sometimes whenever whenever well, it's just like you know, congratulations at doing this this thing that you know has has low standards. You're a sousaphone player. It's great. 
Um, <laughs> you know, this, the skinniest kid at fat camp is another way I've heard it put. Um, so sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like when I when I write up when I write a book about UFOs that actually actually takes the time for endnotes, it's like congratulations, you're the skinniest kid at fat camp. Because you know, I'm sure that there's people who like teach bibliography courses at co- the collegiate level who would just eviscerate the way that I do things. But I've got my own pretty. I'm consistent sure they style, would. It's, think, so. Yeah, it's not MLA, MLA or whatever the other style is. But no. who cares? Nobody. Knows yeah, I, I, I just try to have an internal consistency, and that's you know, that, an, an internal consistency that makes sense for me. But um, yes. So, so what what I had been talking about earlier was um, I got I got a little bit way through it because like the title. I love the title. I think it's a great title. Yeah, let's go back to the basics and the beginning of the things like, what is this title? What What's the book about? You know, why why did you think to write it? All this other stuff. We'll get to it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I looked at my wife and I'm like, does this book sound kind of Christian-y? Like, I didn't, because <laughs> that's the last thing that I want. Um, why? Because it Br- says Brimstone? No, well, no, Brimstone no. Deceit kind of sounds like it's a pastor's book about, you know... Oh yeah, but know. the 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 devil uh, fooling yeah, you into being a bad I mean, person like, or whatever. But at the same time, you can't not address some of this, you know, Western yes. Christian lore that goes along with that. So I, yeah, I just I'm, if I could flip the flip the tables on you before we get really deep into this, do you think that like yeah, do, keep do, flipping them? Do I do I have enough caveats in the beginning that this is not like from that perspective? Because I've I've talked about being a Christian well, before, I, but I yeah. try to not write it from that perspective. So, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it it does to me, and I I can see that that's where you're coming from. But well, maybe that's because I know you. Because if I didn't know you, that mm-hmm. really wouldn't be obvious to me. It would just look like you're scholarly about it. Well, that's what so, I think when when I remembering what I read in the book. Because if something starts to needle at me like a, a certain point of view, I notice. Right, right, right. Well, you know, it's it's one of those big one of those big fears because just as much as I would be upset if someone gets eyeball deep in sort of any sort of uh, any sort of worldview on these sort of phenomena, I don't want people to turn around and and say like you know well, he's approaching it from this Christian phenomena because I'm not like I'm not going the uh, final events aliens or demons sort of worldview. It's not it's no, not, you're not, and I know that's not what your worldview is. Right, right, right. right. So you're not so, going to you, and you've I, I think. Like me, you try not to stuff things into a you know one little straight jacket. You try to step back and say, oh, "How does it look at you know? How do we look at it from this point of view? How do these people see it? How does this group of people have nothing to do with us um, in time or history? How did they look at it? And you know, and compare and contrast. And it goes, all, you know, it's like a it's a, a, a passport to Magonia type thing, or a you know right. a fairy a fairy faith in the Celtic Celtic countries type thing, or. Something and the like moment that. you try to the moment you try to force it into one of those boxes, it's going to blow up in your face, um, in some form or fashion. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, unless you have a total belief in it, then it never blows up in your face. It just <laughs> it just blows up right, in your face, and right. the only other people, the only people that see it. Exactly. I think I talked to you a little bit about this when I was like, "What's your next book, there, Josh?" When we were uh, on one of these shows, or maybe when we were just talking, and the the point was i think you made that so much of the stuff came up that had smells in it that you thought well this should be the next this should be the next book i mean it's it's the only other real one that i guess you can do you can't really do taste touch really there's not too much of that unless you want to talk about touching alien skin or something like that but smells definitely and there's a huge and as you point out in the book in these 300 and you know 17 odd pages that there's a it's a very overlooked 
type of uh, very overlooked phenomenon in, in the paranormal, that there is a smell, because nobody really thinks about a smell. They don't categorize it. They don't say anything. They just said, somebody saw this weird thing, and it did this weird thing, and then it disappeared. But nothing really about the smells. So this is, you know, that's why I said it's, it's, a, it's a singular type of book that um, probably become a reference, I think. Well, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where I would, I would venture to guess that a good 70 to 85% of all reported entity food cases made their way into my database for doing a Trojan feast. Not that they made their way into the book, but just I was aware of them. But, um, you know, with this one, even though it's not something that people talk about a lot, there are still a lot of cases where people end up smelling things. Um, and it seems to me like <laughs> I, I, I would prefer – I'm hoping that people are sort of getting hip to the idea that like my my niche is to look at the things that people don't look at and to say, why haven't we looked at that? Because that could be just as important. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's an important niche, yes. And uh, – and you know, I'd always been sort of fascinated by by this commonality of of um, really the sulfurous smell, which is sort of the genesis for that. Although the book goes into a lot more than that, um, but you know, it's 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 not an uncommon thing that that supernatural things tend to have this weird brimstony smell. Um, so I just I, I wanted to take it apart and see if there was something in that. And I remember I, I wrote Patrick. Um, because I, I, after I finished the Trojan Feast, Patrick was like, "What do you think about doing next?" And I said, "Well, this is you know sort of the idea that I have." Oops. So, so I ended up writing Patrick and sort of giving him a basic thumbnail sketch for this. And he said, "You know, I don't think there's enough here to talk about." I'm like, "Well, just let me let me do a little bit more digging." And uh, it was one of those things where I wasn't even sure that there was enough to talk about because it's one thing to compile things, but it's another thing to just have it sit there and like, okay, well that's that's what I found out. Like, can you can you like even, even if. Can you can you provide some further insight as opposed to like drawing actual conclusions? Um, and thankfully, I found some things that led me down some interesting pathways. Um, some sort of kind of in, in to my mind, sort of far out pathways with the whole alchemy angle at the end towards that uh, too. But uh, you know, I don't know how many other directions you can take this. You know, um, taste and smell are so closely linked that it was I do consider them sort of a companion piece. Um, yeah, I consider. I think that a Trojan feast is a lot like this, but as I've said before, like I think that the role that folklore plays in a Trojan feast in terms of informing the encounters is played by science in this, you know, especially chemistry. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'm done with the sensory sp- uh, perspective spectrum for now because um, I don't know how much <laughs> I don't know how much more uh, or you can get from that vein, as it were. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of um, examination of what makes a smell. How does a smell come? You know, how does a smell? Is it uh, how is it perceived? At least, uh, you know, the latest. And apparently, as as, as you uh, describe in the book, I believe you said we're not exactly 100 percent sure how people <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. identify smells. Although the, the, yeah. the, the, the weird thing is certain smells can be identified when there's hardly any of it around. Um, like in parts per million in the or whatever it is in the in the ambient air, and that uh, what you pointed out in the book, which I thought was interesting, was that the the smells that are a lot easier to detect by the human nose are the ones that seem to be filled with um, uh, portend danger. Right. I mean, so yeah. So so um, 
smell in a lot of ways is the least understood and most mysterious of our recognized, you know, five senses. Um, they still aren't quite entirely sure how this key lock mechanism with, you know, the smell and your smell receptors works. Right. Um, it's fascinating to me that like a loss of smell is associated with Alzheimer's. Like obviously there's some, some sort of very deep consciousness based link here, I think. Um, oh, or at least great. a deep brain based link. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, some people even posited like quantum, models for smell which is just boggles the mind but you think about you think about smell in general metaphorically i mean it's 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 an invasion of the self in some sense you know i mean it's you're if if you look at something you're seeing light refracting off that you're not you don't feel as intimately 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 connected to that thing as you do if you know if you're actually getting a, a whiff of of something off of it um but uh yeah it's 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 really fascinating how how little we know about it, and uh, in that sense, it's you know it seems like something that people. <laughs> if if I was an, an other, I would be very keen to uh, keen to exploit it. And at the same time, you know, there's certain things that we are hardwired to smell well, uh, and things that we are hardwired to not smell well. Like like you mentioned, you know, um, generally speaking, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of poisonous gases we are very very hardwired to smell well. My favorite. Um, my favorite stat about, for example, um, hydrogen sulfide mm-hmm. is that we are able to smell it. We are able to, de- to detect hydrogen sulfide, the rotten egg smell, which most people equate with sulfur, at one part per billion. Which <laughs> doesn't sound like much until you do it. Until you like look into the research, look into like comparative explanations of it, which is one drop of ink in a semi tanker truck load of water would be would be uh two parts per billion <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is just nuts you know it's nuts that i can walk into a room and something at one part per billion i could smell um yeah. which which i mean i don't i don't know what the th- i'm not entirely sure because it's been so long since i've done the research for other for, for these other things but it might it might be like top five compounds that we are most hardwired to detect and coincidentally it's one of the most common supernatural smells you know yeah, uh, what conclusion do you draw from the? Or well, we don't even need to get to conclusions, but you know, what what did you find? Why do is there a reason why people would smell this, or is it kind of backwards completion whereby we think we're smelling that thing because it's some horrible thing, or you know, uh, how? What is the connection between a bad smell and a and an unknown or scary or bad thing happening? Well, um, I think that's sort of a macrocosm of the UFO phenomena in and of itself you know you look at ufos and you know i'm gonna ask that kind of question uh, i know no 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 this is fine this is fine i've but i've like, i've know. been i've been whining about this for probably a couple of years now this recursive uh what's the word uh uh and i see it being used more now the uh co-creation but go ahead no totally and, and i think that like you know if you look at the ufo phenomena it's a combination of things you know it's natural phenomena it's it's an experimental aircraft. It's something genuinely anomalous. And, and if you look at anomalous smells, it's sort of the same way. Um, I think there's a, a bunch of misidentification going on. I think people aren't always aware of what they're smelling. Traditionally, if they tend to not recognize something, they will identify it as being a negative smell. Um, I think part of it is if something smells akin to if something smells akin to something that you smelled in the past, it will trigger a memory. So I think part of it is sort of um, 
is sort of equating with that. There's this phenomena as well called uh, the tip of the nose phenomena, which I love, which is the idea that something will smell familiar and you can know what it smells like. You can recognize that smell, but you can't place it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's happening a lot too. I don't think that, I don't think that whatever, you know, supernatural things are, are giving off one smell. I think there's a, a pretty broad spectrum and I would not be unsurprised if, the smells that people smell has some sort of connection to the individual because smell is, I mean, <laughs> smell is so intimately connected to memory. Right. And it's, it's almost cliche to say something like that at this point. Um, you know, it's a sort of, it's a sort of a variation on the Marcel Proust, uh, the Marcel Proust, you know, Madeline effect where he takes a bite of the Madeline cookie and all his memories come swelling back. I, mm. I think most, uh, most, um, sensory psychologists would agree with the fact that smell is even more uh, potent than than taste, um, simply because there's a broader spectra of things that you can you know associate with smell. So um, the the question the, the questions that I think are are naturally raised by this are a um, in the cases that uh, foul smells are used, such smells that we're sensitive to, it almost seems like the phenomena wishes to be recognized, and b um, wouldn't smell be um, wouldn't smell be a very uh, psychologically lucrative tool or psychologically potent tool yeah. uh, to employ to, to to immediately zap someone back to a certain mindset or a certain space. I don't I don't get as deep into that as I wanted to <laughs> in this book because I was sort of pushing the pushing the envelope on size. But um, I think it definitely opens a lot a lot of questions that people haven't considered yet. If something paranormal happens, does that mean that is, you know, how physical is the thing? If it's, you know, if if you're all into the something not b- actually being there except when it's uh, um, perceived or something like that, where does that leave smell? Because that's something, you know, if something is paraphysical or paranormal or whatever, like you would say, like I would say, Bigfoot is probably a you know, paraphysical thing. A ghost certainly are. And they both definitely, uh, um, especially Bigfoot, of course, they definitely have smells associated with them. So where are these smells coming from if they're not coming from something that's a real thing in the sense that we know it, uh, know something as a real thing, like a, like a car or a, or a watermelon or something, you know what no, I mean? That's, that's a great question. And uh, it's okay if I give you sort of booky answers, right? Yeah, give... <laughs> Okay. I don't so, care. What do you mean, booky? Like stuff well, from the book or bookish? Yeah, meaning I mean, it's I mean, uh, I mean, like it's academic. Sort of, no, I mean sort of stuff that sort of elaborates on what's in the book. Um, oh yes, please. I mean, we're talking about the book, so we talk. We talk about the book. We can talk about anything. We'll, we'll talk about the arrival too later oh, in the show. Yes, please. Um, so, <laughs> so, 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 um, yeah. So, so it's it's been sort of a, a bone of contention amongst a lot of. Uh, philosophers of you know the post enlightenment where uh, the emphasis on smell was considered an emphasis on smell was considered sort of uh, corrupting in the fact that it implied some sort of outside uh, reality to anything um, because it seems it seems on, on 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 surface level like it would be something that would be difficult to forge like if you smell something it's different than like you see it it can be a trick of the light but if you smell it like i said a trick of the nose like no and no i know that smelled like it smelled like dead chicken you know yeah um but uh <laughs> you know there, 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 there there's plenty of uh there's plenty of medical um there's plenty of medical literature that will back up the fact that 
uh, people do experience anomalous – well, phantasmia is what it's called, um, anomalous smells. And where people get tripped up in, in Fortiana is that will say they'll, they think that phantasmia means – Smelling a smell without a source. So, you know, people go into a haunted house and they'll all smell the smell of lilacs and we're all experiencing phantasmia. Woo, it's not. No, no, that's not what it means. <laughs> phantasmia is, is, is a, is a, uh, is a, um, is a neurological condition where you are smelling something that no one else around you smells. And it's the sort of thing that tragically is noted, um, a lot of times with people who have, uh, certain brain tumors, um, or who are in some cases about to have strokes. You've heard that. Um, I'm not sure that this particular scent is all that uh, is all that uh, well vetted in the literature. But some people say that if you're going to have a, sm- a stroke, you'll smell burnt toast. Well, that's not entirely accurate from what I've been told. But having said that, neurological conditions will allow you to smell things um, that smell that, that no one else can smell. So, um, so it, it, it's 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 a it's a sense that is strongly indicative of something that is. Superior to the self, but is not always um, ah. is not always indicative that it is definitely outside the self. Now, where what I think is interesting because if you look at like you know Michael Persinger's um, research, he equates that certain lobe sensitivities in certain individuals will indicate whether or not they have positive or negative smells during um, during a temporal lobe, you know, uh, electromagnetic yeah, <laughs> event. Uh, uh, yes, perfect. Yeah, yeah. As, as he is positive. Um, but I find that hard to believe when you get like, you know, three witnesses that all of them ha- just so happen to have the same lobe sensitivity that they all smell the same smell. And there are plenty of cases where multiple individuals have smelled and described the exact same smell. Not surprisingly, there are plenty of cases where people have described different smells, um, you know, which is something that, uh, again, ties into this idea of, of, of co-creation and what we bring to the dance, as you have so eloquently put. Uh, one of the uh, listeners on the on uh, the Rodney Mysterioso site, uh, known as Nines, says, I don't want to be a bummer, but it's been, he's typed this right before the show. It's long been known that there are frequently, frequently odors accompanying psychotic episodes. We have just addressed that, um, which I, and I still think it's very interesting. And the other thing is, you know, if you are having a paranormal experience, um, is that a psychotic episode? Is that a, is that a brain fart? Is that a problem with your processing? Um, I'm not sure about that. I don't, I'm, I'm to be fun and happy. I'm, I tend to think that in some of the cases it's not, it's just what? something you don't know what to put in the box and your brain's going, what's up? What's up? What's that? Well, it's right. a bad thing. So I smell sulfur or, or is it interacting with the same part of your brain that causes you to smell anomalous phantasmic smells as it were, yeah. you know, um, but you know, to, to be to be a little bit more to be to be in the interest of complete fairness, um, a lot of the smells that people report when having neurological conditions very much line up with the smells that you'll see in all sorts of supernatural events. So, uh, smells of decay, medicinal smells; um, these are not at all uncommon. Um, I do think it's interesting that, for example, in Pershinger's experiments, it was six uh, percent of those that he had ex- he had conducted experiments with that had experienced some sort of anomalous smell, which even so, so I'm, I, I'm a fan of hard statistics, but because of how you know not being able to interpret data sets in terms of which ones are 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 more valid than others, I, I I never really like put down hard numbers because I feel like the phenomenon in general is so deceptive, and you know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, fabrication out there, and there's a lot of genuine, genuine stuff that seems like fabrication. Anyway, having said that, I feel like of close range encounters of anomalous events. 
it has got to be more than 6% of the people that are noticing these sort of smells. And, you know, and, and, and further to the point, um, there are completely sane, well, <laughs> people who seem sane who are like, for example, Sasquatch researchers who have been able to say, I know when there's a Sasquatch in the area by this smell. And the idea that they would just so happen to experience some sort of mental, you know, uh, mental short circuiting whenever they happen to go out in the woods, it, it, it pushes my personal credulity a little bit. Yeah. Um, again, especially considering there is so much consistency. I mean, <laughs> you know me, I'm, I'm sort of a pan paranormal kind of guy. Like I want to see that there's, I want to, I want to find the connective tissue between all these things. Yeah. Um, who doesn't, but, uh, who, but, who, uh, who that is, that is worth anything doesn't. <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, I just, to it, me, to me, to, to me, to, to me, there are too many internal consistencies between the spectra of phenomena in terms of what is smelled that I can't just write it all off as being, uh, as being completely, you know, hallucinogenic, whatever that means, which is a whole other, you know, if you, yeah, if other. somebody said, well, how do you, why do you think that? Well, how can you be so sure? What would you tell them? If you made that that sort of declaration, which I totally agree with, but you know that's I'm predisposed, right? And, and and back to the whole hallucinogenic thing. I'm like, people do not experience, by and large, like I would feel pretty con- pretty comfortable saying that like a vast majority of people who have hallucinogenic experiences, especially uh, pharmaceutically induced hallucinogenic experiences, have do not experience phantom smells. They just don't. It doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't tickle that part of your brain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that sort of brings up, given, you know, our community's interest in these, the psychedelic experience, which I think is very valid, um, it brings up a whole new, uh, whole new, uh, you know, a uh, whole new set of questions. Uh, such as? Well, you know, um, it's... It's become quite fashionable to drag in the DMT thing, which I have been guilty of myself. Um, well, I think it's great but, to gra- drag in the DMT thing, but people, after they drag it in, they just kind of leave it there and they just say, well, look at this. It's like, well, right, right. And, and, well, that's and I, fine. I, but the thing is, it points in a certain direction um, and people aren't going in that direction. They just think that, uh, you know, uh, the furthest I go with it is that we have antenna out and the antenna pick up the, 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 uh, the weird stuff naturally in some cases. And this proves that in, when you do it in an unnatural way, the antenna can be deployed artificially, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, in some ways, it, so I, I had my wrist slapped recently by a, uh, an internet personality that I think greatly of who was like, okay, you've established the DMT thing. Now stop it. <laughs> Go a step further. Um, in the sense that, in the sense that there's there's this tendency for it to sound a bit like you're being the Vichy paranormal, <laughs> as it were. Um, <laughs> so it's it's almost like it's almost. Who would like you be the Vichy the paranormal to? Like the, the mainstream people or what? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's 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 giving them it's giving the non paranormal people with a non paranormal bent. And escape hatched, or or rather carte blanche to write off uh, other to, to write off the yeah. entire the entire yeah. the entirety of paranormal yeah. events, and and it's like it's, but it's they're wrong because they're thinking of it in the wrong way. 
Right, and and I, and I and I get that, but that's so so. A like I want I want the truth. Uh, from what I can tell, the truth is not just the hallucinogenic DMT experience, right? Um, because there's too many. There's of <laughs> even if you're being conservative, there's a vast amount of physical evidence. There's a vast amount of. I mean, at the very least, we're dealing with a shared hallucinogenic experience, which blows the the lid off materialism anyway. Um, yes. The materialist paradigm, anyway. Right, right. But, um, but uh, it, as far more about, people have paranormal and, and alien, I guess, experiences than have taken DMT. Right, exactly. Uh, so if I if I bring in the idea of endogenous DMT as being a way of facilitating communication with another, the right. materialist those in the materialist paradigm will come come along and say, "Well, that explains you're just you're just, just hallucinating." You're right, but your interpretation is wrong. And to yeah. me, <laughs> it's, it's not nothing but. I mean, if you say nothing but, then you're. That's what I meant about about uh, applying it wrong. But yeah, but but we know these people. Like this is <laughs> this is the way they're going. This is the way they're going to interpret this. Yeah, right? well, I tend to ignore them because it's I I learn I am not learning any things from them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yes, it sounds like I'm going down a down a psychotic echo chamber for myself. But um, like you, I try to uh, keep a semblance of sanity. Um, and when I hear something interesting, like the stuff in your book, or, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of something else, or, you know, read a, you know, Patrick Harper's book or something like that, or, 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 or for that matter, you know, um, the DMT book. When I hear right, something that seems to be book, yeah. stretching the de- definitions a little bit and pushing things, I am, I am interested to know how that informs, not explains, but informs what's what I'm interested in and how that might stretch my thinking in some certain way. Not as a, not as a, this is going to be the answer, but this is another piece of the puzzle possibly, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and so, so I think me, that's the attitude in your book too. No, that, that's, that, that's totally the same attitude. So for me, like for me, a lot of my theories are less about, are less about altered states writing a book in your head and more about them <laughs> being and more about altered states being stage managers in your head, like <laughs> yeah. facilitating this space for you to interact with, 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 with players that yeah. have well, come from other places. Yeah. Um, like I said about the antenna uh, getting longer or f- having the signal boosted or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, actually, do you, Turn on the fan before I came in here. We're in this new house and the thermostat I'm not used to. Can I go run right quick and turn on the fan? Yeah, please turn on the fan. I'm I'm sitting right. next to an open window here, so it's 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 nice <laughs> okay. and cool. I probably which means you'll be able to hear sirens later if they come by. Yes. <laughs> Is this called dead air? Is Josh trying to turn on the fan there? I, mean, I think I should give him shit for not having the fan there right handy right before the show started. All right, the mad dash is over. Oh, okay. I'm Sorry a, about that. That's um, okay. We make we may make a na- mad dash in the middle of the show here, either to for well, you, bathroom break, another beer, whatever. <laughs> well, I was going to keep the window open, but I got um, I was recording "Where Did the Road Go" the other night, and uh, my wife was like, "I woke up at like two a.m. and you were being really loud." So, <laughs> like, I don't want the new neighbors to think that I'm being, you know. Yeah, board, I'm so. I'm I'm really jealous of that show because Sarai is doing stuff that I would really like to do. So my reaction was, well, I don't have a, all you guys on with the fun that I had uh, with you last week or the week before. And we're <laughs> good doing, luck with that, buddy. Yeah, we're doing that too. Well, we, the the luck is with me because we're doing that Tuesday, um, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're having a pop-up show Tuesday uh, at, um, I think, 5 p.m. Pacific. Yeah. And uh, it'll be um, uh, you, Soraya, and Michael, um, what's his name? Hughes? Mike Hughes, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's great. Great group of guys. It's it, uh, as, as I've said numerous times before, and this sounds like me being a shill, but um, you know, I, before before I got involved with Where Did the Road Go, I was a Where Did the Road Go fan. Yeah, um, and I would even if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now with the visibility that I'm doing now, I would still like love to listen to that show because it's like it's it's Soraya does a good job of even with his personal experiences of, of balancing you know rationality and uh, right. Well, no, no, sorry. He doesn't do a good job of being balancing rationality. He's rational. Um, <laughs> you know, let's let's remind ourselves that you know that he, that the, he the does not go off on a tangent because he thinks he's found the answer or that his experience is the one that's the true one. Right, right. And it's it's not balancing rationality and, and, and belief because let's remind ourselves that the debunkers are still on the same playing field that we are. Like, if you're being honest, you're being rational, and he is a rational guy. Even with all the weird stuff he's had happen, he he still has doubt about his own personal experiences, which is like is to find that. Yeah, it, that's almost you know, unheard it's, of. It's, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. You know. Um. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's a great group of guys, and I'm 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 very happy to have fallen in in in, in step with them. Yeah, because we had it, we uh, what happened is, and I think we did a little bit of it a um, couple weeks ago. But what happened was that uh, was that you with me when we were talking about that on my show? The just the just for the hell of it when we just did a like so. A, I talked I talked with you and Mike and Soraya, and then I talked with you and Rogan. That's it. Yeah, that was like, yeah, nothing's going on. No, I don't have a guess. And then you called me up, and it, it was it was the same thing. We were bringing up, you know, quit whining about um, about the UFO experience, and maybe you can try and create one. Um, yeah, I think it'd be amazing if everybody um, that could or had the inclination to or thought that they wouldn't lose their sanity could pull a um, what's the word a uh, Albender and try and initiate some sort of communication with something to see what happened and, and be agnostic about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's getting the water with the sharks, you know? Yeah. Um, because I, I read that quote, uh, out of, uh, Jerome Clark interviewing Valet and he said, I think the, he said, I think Clark said something like, do you, are you saying that the researcher should become involved with the phenomenon? And Valet's like, yes, Absolutely. And Clark was like, don't you think that's kind of dangerous? Don't you think people might go crazy? And he said, yeah, sure. But we, most of us know what's what's involved here. And yeah, some people, it, it might be a little dangerous. But, you know, basically his message was you can't, you got to break some eggs, man. Until that happens to you, I guess it sounds pretty flippant. But because um, I know people that have tried to do this and some of them have gotten to the edge of sanity. And it's not fun. And it's very weird talking to them for a while till they kind of come back to come back to our channel you know what i mean yeah no i totally do um yeah but how can you go there and come back and you know go to the moon come back and tell everybody about it without going Gah! well you know so, so, you know some people uh what is it some people some people are born weird and some have it foisted upon them how about that <laughs> um it's, and some it's foisted like, upon themselves <laughs> yeah no it's, it's yes yeah, some people do foisted upon themselves um you know, I suspect that whatever happens with the near-death experience is akin to those who are spiritually minded who interact with the psychedelic experience. Because if you look at, you know, 
ages past, the person who would have the near near death experience would become the shaman of the village. Um, yeah. And if you look at the sort of the, the mind opening things that people who have who have taken psychedelics with that sort of bent have have experienced, it's, it's a similar thing. Now, it doesn't happen with everybody. There are plenty of recreational psychedelic users out there. Yeah. But I think to the ones who are. Well, it's sort of like it's sort of like Soraya always talks about. Soraya always talks about big dreams and little dreams. You know, sometimes you'll have. Uh, I believe that Aborigines of Australia used to talk about big dreams, which were like big, profound dreams that told you about the future or told you about the way that you feel or something. You know, but told yeah. you about the, the reality is, and um, and little dreams, which were like you know, I was walking down the street and my dog said, "Would you like a cup of jam?" And I put some on a banana and I stuck it in my ear. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I have a sense that, like, perhaps all sorts of these sort of transformative experiences are like that. Some are just more transformative than others. And again, like, some people go out of their way to find that. And the real question to me is... Yeah, well, does the key fit the lock, too, sometimes? <laughs> I mean, like you were talking about with the smells. Does the weird experience fit the fit the um, enlightenment lock, you know? Yeah, and, and some people I'm sure like are just like forcing that key into that hole as hard as they can and break off pieces of it. And yeah, and I, then I the, think, and then they're pointing at it really, really excitedly and telling everybody. Yeah, and I think that's the people who have you know lost the plot a bit. You know, I think that's the probably the people who who are earnest but deluded are the ones who are trying to fit these square pegs into these round holes, which is probably why. Yeah, probably why folks like Soraya are as well reasoned and level headed as they are. Yeah, and it's, you know, if you could bring that back, I think that's what a shaman did. They would go completely insane in that, uh, that's the job of the shaman, go completely insane in that and um, let go and go to that other space and then come back with a coherent message that other people might understand or that would be understood in a in a stateside frame of mind, as just, uh, uh, Mario Pozzaglini used to call it. Um, Which, from what I understand, is is a difficult thing to do is to come back with the message, like you know, it's, yeah, it's without like it, without it, talk about, yeah, yeah, without yeah. It being making no sense at all or driving you or other people crazy. Yes. So that's the tough part. Um, yeah, there'll probably be you know a hundred crazy people driven crazy. Well, <laughs> how's that going to be any different than what you see on the internet right now with UFO stuff? And then there'll be you know there'll be yeah. two out of those hundred that come back with something. F- fairly coherent that pushes things forward a bit yes so that that that's what that's what i'm whining about recently Uh, another thing i've been whining about recently back to your book since we're talking about your book and now we're almost halfway through the show (laughs) my book guys yes my book halfway through the show halfway through oh damn we are halfway through the show well we could keep going how does the brimstone receipt thermoregulate i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how, does, how does Chewbacca thermoregulate? He never pants. Yeah. <laughs> Ruin the whole the whole experience of the entire the, the entire series for me. Well, well, if you have problems with that kid, do not watch uh, the Force Awakens. Just just stay away from it, guys. <laughs> I, I I did not see. That's not the last big f- feature, was it? Yeah, that was the, the episode seven. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't, you know, I, I, I thought it was fun and it was like going on a ride at Disneyland and it was fun and there wasn't too, you know, and, and on further reflection, I haven't changed my mind <laughs> that it was just, it was just a fun ride yeah, that just to tie to tie a whole bunch of stuff together, get <laughs> things back on track and try and push it into a different area next time, hopefully. So, 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 so not to engage on, on, uh, on an entirely, 
a different tangent here, but uh, one of my well, you're way more geeky than I am. I used to be way geeky, but I, <laughs> no, I've backed off of it. Go no, ahead. No, I got my geek card pretty hard. Um, uh, <laughs> film, uh, uh, okay, so um, my favorite uh, internet film site is Birth Movies Death uh, because they have not because of the, they like have the greatest scoops, but they have the greatest commentary, and they're kind of they're kind of tough, which I like too. Um, yeah, but there's a, a there's recurring a contributor. Can you hear this, Styron? Apparently. Turn up for what? Yeah, for the siren. <laughs> it's getting closer, I think. Here it comes. <laughs> ah, it augurs well for a good evening. Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> I just turned the microphone out the window there. Because so, this microphone does not go into your ears, but you can hear it on the... No, there it is. Now they're yeah, good and loud. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, what the hell is I saying? Now? You were talking about uh, uh, oh, a yeah. geek card. Yeah. So, so my 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 my, um, my favorite film site is birthmoviesdeath.com, and they have a guy who's a contributing editor who comes in sometimes, or a contributing writer named Film Crit Hulk. And he writes all, <laughs> all he writes all of his articles in in, in all Hulk caps, speak, which is like <laughs> in Hulk speak. Yeah, basically. He's, he he um, forgets uh, pronouns and stuff. Yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Well, he, he was worse about that in the beginning, but he's a super insightful, actually, he's a freelance writer himself. And he has some super insightful thoughts, and his best thing that he said about The Force Awakens, uh, Episode 7, was, I love this movie when it's right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, yes. Yeah, yes. That's, that's it. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's the perfect way of saying what I was trying to say, which is why that guy's a film critic writer. But, uh, but um, if, you know, if, if anybody has problems with the uh, the the science of the uh, the original three episodes where the, you know, the, the four, five, six do not watch seven. Cause it's going to make your brain break. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Also, also you're applying, you're applying real science and not movie science and, and earth science and not whatever science, but yeah, I, I, the, you know, the, Which is why the, the bad, you know, sound in space and all that doesn't bother me. Plot holes and cheap sh- and, and cheap solutions really bother me. Shitty story bothers well, me. I, not, I mean, not technical stuff. <laughs> Shitty, shitty screenwriting bothers me. Actually. Yes, um, but um, but like it's one of the reasons that I get so mad when people talk about Star Wars as being sci-fi. Star Wars isn't sci-fi; it's fantasy. It's a fan- it's it's Lord of the Rings in space. Basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, yeah. Because you have the Force. Star Trek is science fiction, even though it has a lot of hand wavy. To me, science fiction, like true hard science fiction, is like two thousand one or Moon. Have you seen Moon? Yes, I have. The one with yeah, Sam Rockwell. Yeah, yeah directed yeah. by David Bowie's son. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Zoe Duncan Jones. Yeah. 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 To me, to me, to me, that's like hard sci-fi because it, because it has that nice, you know. There is tech. There is tech going depth. on. Yeah. Exactly. Star te- Wars te- is fantasy. Yeah. Anyway, te- how, how the hell do we? I don't know. Tech. Tech is where, a tech is a is a is a character. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I was just listening to all the. I before you came on here, I played the uh, the Eagles, which a band I hate. But they, their song, uh, Journey of the Sorcerer, is the theme song to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I just listened to, I've listened to almost the entire series now. I'm, o- I'm almost to the end. The stuff that was done up like in 2005 or whatever it was after Douglas Adams died, which isn't that mm. bad because it's an adaptation of what he wrote. But th- I consider that science fiction, too, because there's a, there's a heavy tech thing in that, too. It's just, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's funny British science fiction. I don't, th- I don't know if there's any funny American science fiction. And I don't count space balls, so. 
<laughs> I feel I feel like there's probably some sort of Neil Gaiman funny science fiction thing going on out there, but there might be. Not, yeah, smells and UFOs. <laughs> Back to smells and UFOs. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, Steve uh, said a uh, said something here. He said, "It let's see if there isn't." Isn't the supernatural stuff smells like brimstone consistent with supernatural stuff emits random elements, but humans easily detect and notice brimstone. If it emitted 10 parts per billion of roses and 10 parts per billion of sulfur, wouldn't we witness only, wouldn't the witness only smell the sulfur? Oh, you already answered it. Yeah, no, but I answered it in sort of a, uh, I answered it in in a way that I answer things on air, which is kind of like, I'm going to kind of think about this a little bit. So to give Steve a, a fairer shake, um, Yes and no. I mean, it's 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 a complex answer because like the idea of overlapping smells is something that you run into with like uh, for example, skatol and indole, which are both uh, scents that are very uh, important to the scent of jasmine, but are also scents that are very important to the smell of feces. So it's it's very easy for what are those two terms? I I, re- I am familiar with them, but I can't remember what they meant, and I can't remember um, what you described. I mean, you, you you discussed it in the book, so. No, no, no. Skatol are skatol and indole are um, they're uh, I believe they're alkaloids um, in the indole family, um, and they're concentrations of a specific, uh, basically a specific chemical that impart the specific smells to feces and jasmine. So if if, it, if so, <laughs> I know, right? So, but but this is sort of what the whole thing's getting at. Is hence like, the names? It's a it's the subtle balance. Um, and if you tip the if you tip the, the 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 smell of these two compounds too far in, the, in one direction, then it ends up smelling too poopy, or you know, in, in in a jasmine smell, and you know, without them, jasmine wouldn't smell like jasmine. Um, so, oh, you mean like um, how they make perfume with ambergris and stuff that smells absolutely horrid, but it yeah, so it uh, they, it potentiates the 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 nice smell. Yeah, I mean, like I believe a lot of vanilla. Flavoring in this in this um, in the country is still to this day produced from like beaver anal gland. Like <laughs> uh, people should start. Yeah, I, I, I've heard about this. People should start ordering it for me then because I I take um, vanilla beans, split them in half, and put them in hundred proof alcohol and leave them for two years. No beaver anal gland used. Nice, nice. But it takes well, two years. That's probably where the beaver beaver anal gland comes in. <laughs> It's probably preserved. ladies and gentlemen, please welcome yeah, beaver be- yeah. beaver anal gland. <laughs> this is the this is the uh this is the mammalian scent gland podcast. Yes. Um so it's I mean it's So you what you're saying is what's going on is maybe well a lot of things. Well yeah. a, a maybe a lot of things and B um B, we, we've got to rely on witness testimony, which is even sketchier in a lot of ways than it is with visual sightings. Um yeah. With the exception of things like sulfur, which everybody knows what that smells like, um, even if they don't always pinpoint the right con- the right compound, are, we are so sensitive to something like sulfur that we tend to recognize it. Is you know? uh, why do you think the uh, to get very heavily back into the book? Why do you think that? And you do go into this in the book. Why is that associated with something evil, satanic, or whatever you want to call it in the? In the Western tradition, not just the Christian, I suppose it's probably also in the Jewish and Islamic tradition, too. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a perfect question. Um, so brimstone, sulfur, actual sulfur itself, doesn't smell. Pure right. sulfur does not smell. Um, 
but very rarely do you find pure sulfur. Oftentimes it has impurities, and the impurities are what give it that sort of you know funky egg smell. There are multiple um, sulfur compounds that people tend to smell. The, the ones that occur most commonly in paranormal experiences are sulfur dioxide, which is something like a gunpowder or fireworks, that sort of smell, and hydrogen sulfide, which we all know from rotten eggs or from being around marshes or bogs or swamps. Um, but sulfur or somebody itself, with indigestion. Yeah, exactly. I have not written, wrote the word flatus the most times in my life. Yes, I love seeing that. I, lo- I love seeing that. I don't think you ever said fart in the whole book. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I did in one quote where oh, okay. the, uh, there's a researcher who says, "Well, maybe big Bigfoot's farting." And I'm like, that's, just, <laughs> that's the stupidest, most derivative. Anyway, um, <laughs> like I appreciate it, but yeah. Um, <laughs> So um, brimstone in antiquity was used as a, an antifumigant. It was used as an antibacterial, antimicrobial agent. You'll still find face washes and stuff that have sulfides in them. Um, so what, what Christianity and a lot of Western religion, um, or you know, like you said, a lot of Abrahamic religions, I guess is a better way to put it, yes. has gotten wrong is that the devil smells like sulfur. And no, the devil doesn't smell like sulfur. Um, in theology – because, um, because only when he mixes with stuff. Well, 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 well basically, <laughs> sulfur was considered as being divine. Like God's breath smelled of sulfur. Sulfur was an anti-fumigant. Sulfur was a cleanser. So when Satan was cast into the fire of lake of fire, the lake of brimstone, it wasn't he wasn't being put there like you know he was it wasn't club med like he was being put there for a very specific purpose to cleanse him of evil. So to cleanse him of evil when Satan was put in the river. <laughs> but anyway, so so that, that, that so we should think of in um, Abrahamic religions the smell of sulfur being associated with demonic activity, not being like demons just so happen to smell of sulfur. Rather, it's the divine's attempt to purify and cleanse the demonic, which is something that I had no idea about before I, I jumped into this. Me neither. Um, before I read your book. Yeah, I mean, well, when you look at the word, um, the word for uh, the word for. Uh, sulfur in ancient Greek was theon, which is where we get the word uh, theology and you know uh, theologia, and also where the where we get the, the where we get the term uh, thiol from. And thiol is a specific type of uh, sulfur compound which we all can smell if we turn on our natural gas stoves and don't ignite the pilot light. Ah, because yeah, it's the uh, uh, the what's the word the scent that's put in there so that you know that you have a gas right. Leak. Yeah. And this and this this connects into a bigger. I feel like we're on NPR right now. Or something. <laughs> I know, right? Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted so, your uh, no, talk about no, the was, potentiation of sulfur with no, other things that make it smell, no, that, that and why it why it smells like trying, the devil. I was trying to come up with a stiff upper lip NPR sort of joke or approach, but I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't think of anything smartass enough. Um, so. They, they never yeah, go so, for the so nastiness. They always so, go for the polite joke, which always pisses me yeah, off. Yeah, the, oh, 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 oh. Um, oh, isn't that very interesting and and, and amusing? Yeah, like, I know what you really want to say. Just go ahead and say it. So, so, sort of like the dad joke thing, too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Why does Satan <laughs> smell like sulfur not? Um, so, but but this, this, this ties into a, a greater theme in the book, which is um, because... Sulfur was associated with the divine. 
sulfur was associated with things that came from the sky. Therefore, lightning smells of sulfur, even though it smells of ozone. And you get right. you end up getting centuries of reports where people are mixing up ozone and sulfur, which is sort of a tangent you have to endorse in the book because there are a lot of uh, nuts and bolts ufologists who want to say people are mistaking sulfur for ozone when that's probably not the likelihood. Like, you know, you, I think I say in the book, like you, if you accept that people aren't seeing the planet Venus, <laughs> why, why don't you just go ahead and accept that they know what sulfur smells like versus ozone? I feel like sulfur and ozone are, are different enough smelling that people will say, people will say ozone smells like sulfur, but they won't say that, Sulfur smells like ozone. What I said, I think I said in the book, um, I'm not entirely sure if this is a clear metaphor, but like somebody from somebody from the big city might come to a small western town and see a bunch of four-legged equine animals. Um, they might call them all horses. That doesn't mean that there aren't some mules, but that doesn't mean that they aren't mostly horses. <laughs> right. <laughs> makes any sense. Um, yeah, makes so, sense. Makes total sense. Meaning, so I, I, I you can also say if you haven't you haven't been around a lightning storm, you wouldn't know the difference either. Right, and I think you would. I think you would tend to describe sulfur in more. I think it's ozone rather. Ozone in more like peppery, like you know, it smelled like the time that my computer burnt out. You know, this sort of like electrical peppery terms as opposed to being like it smelled like it smelled like a rotten egg or it smelled like a giant fart yeah yeah it's a completely different thing o- completely ozone is, different. Yeah, yeah it's kind of it's kind of acrid and and sharp whereas the uh sulfur is um miasmic and um what dull <laughs> and soft yeah it, no, it, exactly exactly well it's 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 uh <laughs> tying into a theme later in the book that I, don't, I think is probably too deep of a rabbit hole to go down, but like you know, ozone is a trigeminal stimulant. It's acrid. It, it's pungent. It makes you sort of wince. And hydrogen mm-hmm. sulfide doesn't. You know, it just sort of sits there under so, the, under the bed sheets. Yeah. <laughs> so what's so you know? It, it, have you been able to categorize? See, this is part I don't remember the book. Have you been able to categorize ozone, sulfur, and what they might be associated with? Or is just there's just in, in a paranormal context, and we'll get to Bigfoot and stuff too. But in a paranormal context, is there a difference between what is seen and experienced, or indeed the area it's experienced, or the culture, or the person, um, and and is there is a marked difference between the experience when it is associated with sulfur and the experiences when it is associated with ozone or some other smell. Because as you point out in the book, the vast majority of these things, people say it's a sulfurous smell, a disagreeable odor. Right. Um, so, so the smells seem consistent across a variety of cultural interpretations. Um, you have, there's one particular Indian case that I mentioned where, um, a young lady says that, that the smell of the UFO, which was basically tearing apart her schoolhouse, smelled like gunpowder. Um, which, you know, is, is not, that's, that's not a place where Abrahamic religion has a toehold. Right. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's part of it. Um, um, in terms of, like, the, tr- the, the trends that you notice, um, I would, I, w- I would somewhat comfortable saying that you tend to notice somewhat comfortable folks listen um saying that you tend to notice hydrogen sulfide during encounters where entities are seen 
uh, sulfur dioxide where you see craft scene. Um, ozone is one of the more common scents during abduction experiences. Ozone is also quite common where people are seeing blue light, um, which is uh, that would kind of make indic- sense if something's arcing, I guess. Right. It's 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 indicative of the possibility of photochemist photochemically produced ozone, uh-huh. um, which is the idea that you know ozone is being produced from the air, like in a in a lightning strike. Um, but. Uh, I have a sense, using my best Mike Cleland words, I have a sense, it seems to me that, um, something I learned from him, it seems to me that the weirder things are, the more likely hydrogen sulfide is involved. I don't necessarily explicitly say that in the book, but it definitely Ooh, maybe seems, that's why I asked. It definitely seems to be that sort of way. Um, and around the edges, I sort of, I think I sort of hinted that a little bit, but uh, it seems like like and and again, like again, folks, we might be dealing with a lot of different things here. I'm not saying it's all the same thing. I'm saying that there are commonalities between what people, you know, represent on the spectra of the paranormal phenomena as a whole. Um, does that answer? Sort of yeah, it question? does. And That's I, a I, huge question. Yes, I know. And you know, it was it. I kind of hate to ask it because it means I'm asking you to categorize. And I no, don't no, like categorization this, because it's this, it just this is it, the forum. Yeah, this is exactly. The forum. Um, it is categorization. I think, especially with paranormal stuff, starts to if we if it, we use it as a religion, starts to lead us down pathways where we cannot turn back. Uh, 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 what's well, the word? Graciously. Um, yeah. And, and, so, uh, but you have to do some of it because that's how our brains work. It's just kind of hard to ride that razor's edge between. This is like this, so it's like this, and you know, like um, maybe we're maybe we're categorizing too much and pulling things down into categories that don't need to be in categories, and we're you know trapping their their essence in a category where if you tried not to, then maybe other um, uh, what's the word? Other aspects of it might become more uh, obvious, if you know what I'm right. saying. No, 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 totally, and and it's um. Like I said, this is this is the forum to to talk about this, and it, it comes back to that whole tip of the nose thing. Like you know, it's it'll be a lot easier to be able to quantify what people are smelling if we had some sort of we had some sort of data always you know ready from the site. Um, I do think that. So here's the thing. I, well, it's our I brains expect- doing the thing too and interacting. So there, there's got to right. be some kind of. If your brain's going to make an association, it's going to make an association and it's associated with things that you might not even be aware of. So that might be important. Right, no, totally, and, and and I anticipate a healthy, I anticipate a healthy pushback from some of the ufological community on this, because some people have, I've, that I've talked to have been like, oh yeah, ozone's the most common smell, or oh yeah, ammonia is the most common smell, but if you look at the, if you if you go over yeah that, 50, that yeah that leads me to another question. I mean, are there common ones or you know you, you said mostly it's sulfur. Well, yeah, but people don't want to really acknowledge that. But right. if you if you comb through, and I know that MUFON journals and Flying Saucer reviews are not the be all end all of the experience, and I'm not out there in the field getting my boots muddy. I'm not. But if you look at the literature over the past fifty years, you will find that sulfur is the most common smell, um, or what people will describe as sulfur. Now, whether or not they're describing exactly that, that's a different, that's a different conversation. Yeah. But, um, but. Uh, You'll find people 
making mistakes and conflating things. And I, I, I tend to, whatever the witness tends to say, I tend to believe that. And, um, there are some researchers who have sort of backed up this whole, uh, sulfurous idea. And I think that that whole idea is backed up by the fact that you have folks like, <laughs> well, Jacques Vallée mentions that it's a common, uh, it's a common after effect of UFO sightings. He wrote that, you know, we can almost smell the sulfur in their wake. So if Jacques Vallée says that, that's fine by me, number one, <laughs> but, um, like who am I to argue? Right. Um, you know, but number two, um, if you look at sort of the the residual deposits of of landing sites, and I go into this a little bit, there's just again not enough not enough time, not enough ink in the world, but residual residual landing sites tend to have a stronger sulfur component. Um, you'll find people who have a who have a implants that are removed that tend to have a strong sulfur compound component, um, even after they which, wash them off and all that. Yeah, and and it's. You know, it's just it. I think it's. I think that if you, if you, I th- it's that whole majority plurality thing, right? You know, I feel yeah. like a lot of people I talk to, even educated people, don't understand the difference between those. You know, between uh, what? A majority and a plurality. Uh, majority means most of. Plurality means a. To me, means a um, a, a statistically significant amount. Well. Uh, so, if I have fifth, if 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 you can tell me I'm wrong, no, you're no, no, wrong. No, I, I, I think I think we're getting at the same thing. So I'm going to say just just try yeah, to illustrate it this way. If if Hillary gets 51 percent of the vote, she's gotten a majority of the vote. Right. If Hillary gets 40 percent of the vote and Trump gets 30 percent and Gary Johnson gets 30 percent, Hillary has gotten a plurality of the vote. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is it's 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 the most. Of it's the most of person. yeah exactly. Yeah. So I think that I think that perhaps it might be a a, a plurality sort of um, with sulfur smells, yeah. but still that's that's to me that's significant, <laughs> you know. It's it, because yeah. it's I suspect that it's like forty percent sulfur, ten percent this, ten percent that, 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 you know. Um, yeah, because there's other ones. I mean, there's other ones. That just looking at your, you know table of contents. And my notes here, it's like you've, you've got th- – st- you, de- you deal with s- decay smells, which I guess are sulfur. Smoke. Um, what else? Other chemicals, Burpoise, burning bur- things. Burning smells, chemical smells, ammonia, camphor, um, uh, uh, ozone, of course. You know, it's, and and the, the idea is like a lot of pe- – some people have posited a reason for the presence of sulfur or sulfur, sulfur compounds in paranormal experiences, but they haven't – they haven't tried to fold that into a working model of where these other smells come in. And that's sort of what I tried to do is say, like, let's let's bring all these different smells into the fold and see if there's one model that could perhaps um, explain all these things. And I'm not sure that it's <laughs> – no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not true, capital T, true. But I think it gives us some, some greater insight. Right. Well, what about uh, – there's a um... – a significant portion of the book is given over to Sasquatch, Sasquatch smells, which the the literature is replete with those. Um, if you you talk about yeah, UFO I mean, stuff, you almost never hear smells, but when you talk about Bigfoot, almost all of them. Well, you know, that's, so you you go into you know where might that smell be coming from? Go ahead. Lights in the sky. Oh no! Sorry, what were you going to say? I said you go into the, where that smell might be coming from. Um, and it, it, and I thought it was fascinating. You discussed, you know, is it, 
and I can't remember the categories, but you know, is is it indigenous to the to the to whatever Sasquatch is? Is it something that it picks up by rolling on on the ground, or is it uh, a result of what was it? Is it produced? Is it produced by the thing? Is it is it picked up by is it picked up by big Bigfoot or I can't remember what the third pro- pro- property right. was. No, 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 that's great. That's great. I, I think I think I was breaking up a little bit, so that's why I was like, "What? What did you say?" Um, you were breaking so, up a little bit. Um, so a lot of the the reason that you don't run into a huge amount of UFO smells is because so many of them are lights in the sky. Right. Um, it's only it's only when you see structured craft at a close proximity that you actually get these sort of encounters with people tend to smell something. But most Sasquatch encounters are significantly closer than a lot of UFO encounters. So I think it's part of the reason there. Um, yeah, I guess they kind of have to be, otherwise you wouldn't be able to see them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, some are seen and smelled and, and heard and not seen too. So, well, which which brings me into uh, I had a blog post a while back. I'm fascinated by like Class B Bigfoot field researchers organization reports the, the ones that are like i had rocks thrown at me and there was a funny smell in the forest and it must have been a bigfoot and i go are you sure it wasn't a poltergeist in the forest huh because <laughs> <laughs> i like to i like to make everybody question what the hell they're thinking um yes uh, me too who did, who did i learn that from greg who did i learn that from i don't um, know but i'm uh, always arguing the other side of the thing just to see what people say <laughs> i know i know um but uh, so, yeah, so, so, so I sort of broke down. There's this wonderful, wonderful uh, essay by Antonio F. Rulon um, called, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but if you Google his name in UFO sense, Steve, that's your job. Post it, post it on, the, uh, on the thread. That's your job, Steve. Because uh, <laughs> I know he's going to. Um, uh, about UFO smells, and it's, it's essential reading to the book. And he oh, yeah. several... Yeah, so it's a great little essay, and um, it's it's a little bit the 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 number of cases that he studied were a little bit thin, but the uh, science in it is sound, and it's it's a it's a great little essay. So I recommend anybody who's thinking about picking up the book, uh, reading it. Um, but uh, but um, the uh, he he posits several ideas for working theories to describe how. The UFOs interact with their environment. So, is is is, is the odor environment produced, uh, or is is the, is the odor UFO produced but environment existing extant? Like the UFO interacts with the environment. Is the odor completely coming from the UFO? Is the odor coming completely from the environment? So, I thought, well, how about we break that down and do something similar with Sasquatch? So, my four categories were endogenous, intentional, which would be um, like a scent gland. Um, Endogenous, unintentional, which would be like a body odor or an unintentional scent gland, you know, yeah. like a not a scent gland that you don't say, I'm going to make myself stinky. Like it's just like happens like humans have a smell of fear associated with them. Yeah. Exogenous, unintentional, which would be like a product of their environment. So they're, if they're sleeping in, <laughs> they're sleeping in cow shit, they're going to smell like cow shit. Um, and uh, exogenous, unintentional, uh, sorry, exogenous, intentional, which would be like that there are, um, you know, Sasquatch deliberately harvesting stinky smells around the forest. And the truth of the matter is, there's evidence for each of those. What I hope that this book will put to rest is that if Bigfoot are flesh and blood mammals, they have a scent gland. Get over it. <laughs> because every mammal, in some sense, has a, a sense gland. They have a gland that releases certain chemicals and certain smells... On, on their own. Um, 
of none of their own volition. The question is whether or not they have a, a, a synth gland which they actually um, release of their own volition, like you know, as, as a deterrent. Um, so hopefully, this book answers a lot of questions about that. Um, there's a lot of primate research that suggests that that's a possibility. There's a lot of Bigfoot research that suggests that perhaps they have like an array of synths that they can choose from, which is mind-boggling. But if you take a more <laughs> if you take a more 14 approach, like I do, I don't think it's all that weird. Um, uh, but also, uh, you have to look at certain people who suggest that like there's people out there who believe that Bigfoot will deliberately harvest skunk and uh, tear out their synth glands and rub them on their body to augment sort of whatever smells they have. But like. The, the Sasquatch chapters were some of the most fun because they had some of the most disgusting descriptions I have ever read in my life associated with them. Yep. It reminds me of um, there's that scene in Anchorman where they, they spray cologne on him and so one person somebody goes, it smells like a, di- a, a used diaper full of Indian food. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, and literally like one of the descriptions I think I wrote in the book was like, it sm- somebody said it smelled like a wet diaper full of roadkill or something. Yes. You know? My my favorite disgusting like the most disgusting thing I've ever written was the uh, was the um the gentleman from I believe it was Idaho who said that he smelled something that reminded him of when he was working on a lamb farm as a kid when he had to help a lamb give birth to a still fetus stillborn fetus ah uh, yes I it's remember like the, that one like it's so f- evocative like God Almighty um yep so yeah I, I like I. <laughs> That would be the name of that smell. Yeah, exactly. So, like writing that, it was just like a, it was just like a pleasure seeing everyone cringe in my mind's eye as I'm writing this stuff because it's got it's got some pretty cringy moments in there. I mean, apparently, some of the bit, this Bigfoot smell is bad. You know, if, you'll listen to people who who say that like Bigfoot doesn't smell or Bigfoot smells like this or that, but I'm 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 trying to. Trust me, everybody. I'm, I'm trying to come with like the least conceptions of the, uh, to the table as I can. And uh, Bigfoot is Bigfoot is stinky, and it's not a consistent smell. I don't know why anybody would expect it to be, and it's not. None of the theories on why it smells are um, are completely vetted. Like in terms, of, you'll hear some people talking about like where the scent gland is located. That's not, you know, until we have a body, we don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, there's another thing. Do you think that'll ever happen? And if it doesn't happen, where the hell is the smell coming from? If it's a, you know, it's the paranormal slash, you know, the, the, is Bigfoot paranormal or is Bigfoot, you know, a flesh and blood creature? And I think you, you address that in the book. But, you know, what if Bigfoot is not a flesh and blood cre- creature? Where are all these horrible smells coming from? And why those smells with Bigfoot? Right. Um I, mean, I don't think we'll ever have a body because, like, as much as we want to, as much as we want to talk about how there is a an agenda that would prevent UFO disclosure, I think Bigfoot disclosure, if there is a flesh and blood Bigfoot, which I'm very skeptical of, I think Bigfoot disclosure might present a more clear and present economic danger. Um, go on. Well, for one, for, for one, I think it's it's a lot. I think I think there are more Bigfoot believers than UFO believers in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, because, and then because, and then ghosts are, are those two combined more than? Oh yeah, no, the ghost believers, you know, outnumber them all. Um, 
but I, because because it still fits into this, it's 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 an easy idea to wrap around, you know, like to wrap our heads around. It's just something out there in the forest that we haven't seen. So, a you'd have more people buying into it, and b the immediate economic impact, especially in this day and age, would raise all sorts of questions. I don't I don't think they're only just like questions about like you know endangered species and habitats, but like indigenous people rights, you know. Um, uh, and then not not to mention the safety concerns that people have about going out into the wilderness. I mean, you look at the sort of industry that outdoorsmanship is. I mean, if something like that was confirmed, it would be a, sort of a big deal um, in terms of people fearing for their own safety. Even if you know something come out, oh no, there's not, there's nothing to worry about, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, well, look at the look at the history of it. I mean, how many people have been hurt or killed by Bigfoot? I I can't think of any. Yeah, you can't think of any, but then again, like, you know, this is where this is where people unfamiliar with David Pilatus' research bring in David Pilatus, but I think that there are probably I think that there might be some cases that might Well, there might be, like, you know, has who has been killed or maimed or possible. seriously yeah, injured yeah, by a ghost. Yeah. It's happened, but it's really, really, really well. And psychologically, rare. psychologically, endangered by ghosts too. I mean, like, that's the thing with ghosts. Yeah, you have the spirit phenomenon that you have to consider. Right. Well, it's um, a, it's an unknown thing, so you can assign any danger you want to it. If there, you know, ghost or Bigfoot or you know whatever. Right. You want. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, so, so to the matter at hand, like I think that that a a Bigfoot cover up would be more clear and present. I think that would be more economically impactful. And I think that'll be an easier cover-up too, because somebody calls and says, "I just hit a man in a ghillie suit," and the feds come out and they take you know take a body. I'm not. I'm. I'm. <laughs> yeah. So so the last book was was sympathetic towards the biological Bigfoot hypothesis and and in like more anti ETH. I feel like this book is more sympathetic towards the ETH and more anti Bigfoot biological Bigfoot hypothesis. Um, but having said that. Um, how did this talk about how what was this about smell again? I think we what we were back to we were back to is if the if Bigfoot is a paranormal uh entity, if you posit that it's a paranormal entity, where do all these strange smells come from? Right. Um well I mean you've gotta you've gotta consider the, the, the level that um smells sort of operate on for human beings. I mean like they're sort of ethereal to begin with. Um yeah, and there is no shortage of. I mean, like you know, the first third of the book is a spirit smells. So if it is a spirit entity, then perhaps that's perhaps that's somehow tied into that whole concept as well. Um, right. The the the, the Keelian approach would be to say that you know some sort of manifestation into our dimension would generate the smell as a byproduct, which I don't think is. I don't think it's off base. I just I, I don't think I don't think that there's any real if 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 electrical phenomena or you know something at CERN produced hydrogen sulfide, I would be much more um, I'd be much more in, inclined to endorse that sort of a philosophy that like the 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 dimensional shift right makes right. big. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a but byproduct I, of whatever is happening in the local area that causes you to see the thing, which is right. yeah, it's it seems like yeah, you're I agree with you. It's it's kind of forcing the issue a little bit. Well, I mean, it's 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 there is nothing to suggest that a release of energy 
produces these sulfuric smells, with the exception yeah. of stuff like gunpowder. Yes, okay, whatever. Well, explaining an unknown with another unknown. Well, in the case of Sasquatch, you don't find gunpowder smelling Sasquatch, except in like a handful of really weird cases. You mostly find Bigfoot that smells like rotten eggs. You know, you feel Bigfoot that smells like farts. Um, and to me, like th- those, every, everything that we know about that smell is all about anaerobic bacteria. It's all about um, decay. It's all about composition. It's all about entropy. And you know, <laughs> and I think it's interesting that that smells about entropy, and burning smells, which you also have in Sasquatch and UFO reports, are about um, burning, obviously combustion. And so you have decomposition and combustion, and decomposition and combustion were both part of the same process to the ancient alchemists. It's, it's the it's the it's the um, the deconstruction of the uh, it's the deconstruction of the extant, if you were um, things being broken down into their individual parts. Which, from a psychological psychosocial uh, uh, standpoint, I think says a lot about the phenomena in general. Yes, and you've provided a wonderful segue into the next thing. Uh, part of the interview ah, yes. about alchemy, yes. I, and I, I'm sure you did that with with, with uh, malice aforethought, which is great. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what is the you know you, you, your entire last chapter is about the connection to alchemical ideas about what um, elements are, how they affect people, um, and why that's important on not only a uh, symbolic level, but probably also a physical one too. Pro- you know, with the idea that the alchemists were the original chemists. So, you know, uh, how do how do the smells associated with paranormal f- phenomena um, inform the alchemical idea of transformation? Is that a good? Is that the? Is that a proper question? No, it's totally. Sort of like <laughs> that's an epilogue. So, like, I feel like people could probably stop before that. If they're part of the, um, they want to go the, the really materialist, non-psychosocial route, they could probably do a full stop there and be done. Um, yeah, well, they'd so be I missing out. They should go. They should read to like the end. A lot of the ideas in, that, well, a lot of the ideas in that though, I think, are sort of uh, germinal um, because it's confounding. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have a lot of people have, have brought alchemy into. The supernatural realm, as it is, and uh, it's as, as as a metaphor. You know, Carl Jung being the most famous. Um, but he, so <laughs> you know, I spent like three pages in the book trying to talk about the history of alchemy, and now you just want me to jump into the deep end of the pool. Um, no, we don't have um, to. I mean, so, we we can stick our toe in first. But I, I would no, like, no, 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 I would, no, I would no, like no, to be. No, no, I'm not. I would like to be calling for the lifeguard at the end here, but with stick with the uh, jumping into the deep end. <laughs> That's the style. Go ahead. I'm not 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 bitching. Um, so, alchemical thought thought that uh, felt that all um, all matter could be broken down into three primary elements: uh, sulfic, sulfur, mercury, and uh, and salt. Um, so a lot of uh, Great thinkers in the in the field have equated the uh, the paranormal phenomena with uh, the alchemical ideal theory. So, um, feminine, hidden, um, changeable, malleable, um, subject to uh, subject to interpretation, fluidic, right? 
Um, right. And sulfur in and of itself has often been conceived as being masculine and fixed and uh, and really oh sulfur yes yes yeah F- fashionate uh, fashionate passionate fixed <laughs> fashionate and fixed passionate fixed um uh strong you know quote unquote masculine um for lack of a better term so what the last little part of the book is trying to reconcile is is the fact that we have paranormal phenomena which so well embody the mercurial archetype as they do um mm-hmm. why is it that they are embodied with sulfurous smells so often and uh in, in trying to parse that out, it seems to be that well, I don't know if there's an elegant way to put it because I sort of I feel like uh I feel like it, <laughs> the last little bit of the book is sort of juggling and trying to like parse out the meaning of that, but um it seems like there are two types well again the the idea of of alchemy is that these two primary opposite sulfur and mercury inhabit in sort of yin yang with one another yin yang is part of that sort of same school of thought um there's a little bit of one and the other and a little bit of the other and the other um so the idea is that the idea that i've come to is perhaps that a mercurial phenomena or a mercurial other like the paranormal tends to utilize uh more uh sulfur in the alchemical sense uh, more, sulf- more sulfuric alt- attributes to sort of become part of a whole and impress upon people a specific um, message or meaning, or even this, even if not a specific message or meaning, the sense that there is a specific message or meaning. Or a, a, it, it's funny, it sounds like you're talking about a kind of a balance. Absolutely. In this I mean, weirdness, there's a balance of opposites. Well, I mean, which which sort of ties into the to the valet and control mechanism in a lot of ways. You know, the idea that that the, the system must be kept in balance, and to do that, we must have a a balanced phenomena in and of itself to inject um, suspicion of the current paradigm into the, into into modern society to inject uncertainty into um, into what we have surrounding us. 24/7 with our all our technology and our you know our, our all of our certainty. Yeah, or yeah, or a, a subconscious need to inject uncertainty into it and having that manifest in the in in the weirdness of some things that don't fit. You know that we yeah. we're we're yeah. we're wishing and for and producing them in the same way that you sublimate um something that you either desire or you want to cover up. Yeah, I mean so it's um and of course, I, I, it's I, I feel like I barely scratched the surface on this. I would love, again, like I said at the end of the Trojan Feast, like I would love for somebody to, else to to take up the reins now that some of this grunt work has been done and put in some in depth, you know, Ren Collier level <laughs> thinking. Yes. Um, in, in, into these sort of topics because, um, you know, in in a lot of ways, I have I have an insight into that, but it's it's I personally feel like my insight is sort of superficial. Um, I feel like, I feel like there could be, there could be, there are greater, there have, there have been and will be greater thinkers than I that can sort of take the ball and run with it. And all, all I'm trying to do is set them up for the punt, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly what I think I'm doing. So did I use my sports analogies, right? Yes. Yes. I okay. think so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, the thing I said, I used to say I was doing was cheerleading. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I'm cheerleading this thing, and then maybe somebody can join the team and and you know, uh, uh, make the touchdown or hit the home run or whatever the hell it is, or at least push it forward. I'm pushing it forward in the way I think I should. You're doing the same thing. Everybody we know that's that's involved in some kind of um, important work is all doing the same thing. Um, but the thing is, you know, you might surprise yourself about how smart you are by, and you should be from doing this book, but. At some point going, oh, yeah, wow. And then somebody sees that and then it becomes a paradigm that you didn't even know that you had in your, <laughs> in your thought. I've, I've, um, uh, uh, I, I think uh, when I met with Valet, he asked, he, he said, you know, what, he said, what was my goal or something like that? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm smart enough to figure a lot of this stuff out. I'm just cheerleading. And he's he um he said, well, you know, this the answers can come from anywhere. Just imagine your 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 um your IQ is twenty points higher than you thought it was, and what you could do with that. So you know, I think we're holding our own selves back by thinking in that way. It's just hard for me to get out of it, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's it's. I mean, <laughs> I think that everybody well. I was going to say I think that everybody's more intelligent than I think they are, but then again, yeah, well, because it. you don't want to look at the presidential candidates. And yeah, say, no, well, because you don't want to be an asshole. You know, you don't want to be think think of the guy that's like an egotistical asshole by saying, "Hey, I I found out this thing and I know this thing," but you're not. You're just telling people, "Look, here's something I thought of. Let's talk about it." You're not saying I'm smarter than you or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I'm continuously res- wrestling with that all the time. Yeah, and like I think that's. I mean, because because I I I like to think that I have such a, a healthy respect for a lot of people in this field. Like I don't, I can't possibly do what a lot of people have done. I just want to come in and be like, <laughs> take the piss a little bit in some ways, but also just just point out things like, can we can we can we please look at this? Can we please like yeah. we've been trying? We've been again. This this is a, a, a drum that I've been banging for a while now. But like we've been trying to prove the obje- objective evidence of this stuff. What if we looked into things that don't have anything to do with the objective evidence, that don't have to do with burn marks on the ground, that don't have to do with anything like that? Maybe that will provide us the escape plan into acceptance that we're looking for. Yeah. You know, it, it, and I, I think that – Coming honestly, at it from the side, coming at it from an oblique <laughs> angle where you go, oh, yeah, now that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to say the same thing that uh, I, I, I personally – Patrick will probably kill me for this. I don't think it, I, don't, I don't think this is as good of a book as a Trojan Feast was, but um, I think it still fills a niche, and I think it. Um, I think that it's another one of those books where I am I am baffled by the fact that no one has decided to look into this. It's 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 a failing to me in the fact that I was able to come along and write this. You yeah. know, does it, does it, does that sound haughty at all? Or you know? no, it doesn't because you're you're just like. I've had the same thing about, you know, things that I don't think I've written about, but you're just like, wow, why hasn't anybody written this book yet? You know, yeah, you know, well, the, strangely the, the enough, Nick thing. does that all the time. The UFO art thing, everybody should be ashamed of for not thinking about. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I don't even think, I don't even think that what I'm looking at is even that is even as brilliant as the UFO art thing. Like, I think this is just like basic forensics 101, like trends, look at what's happening. <laughs> You know, yeah, but it's it's not even that. I mean, it's that's a lot of the book. But then what we just talked about the alchemical element of it, and the you know what in, in our psychology causes us to think that 
um, something smells like sulfur. And where does that smell come from? And is it a physical smell or is it something that we expect to smell? These are all important questions. And one, nobody's asked them with the smells. And two, people are just starting to ask about, you know, I think that, you know, I think it's well established now that the new wave of whatever you want to call it, of ufology, whatever, is an examination of the witness and not an examination right. of the witness to say, well, you know, what are they making up it or whatever, but what is the makeup of how we look at these things? What can, what can an understanding of our psychology and neurology and um, history and all the things that go into making a person a person, how does that inform when somebody sees something really strange and has to repeat it back to themselves and others? You know, that that's the important question. Now, I think, a lot of people, you know, I, you know, even when I'm working coast to coast, I hear this stuff going on and I'm like, oh, wow, that's, is, I think that's what the thing is. It's not, it's not abduction research. It's not what's, it's not, uh, what's the word, uh, 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 um, disclosure. It's not things like this, that, that kind of stuff is, I think the people that are really interested and tend to be fairly intelligent and open-minded are really going in that direction. And they have been for a while. Well, it's, it's that rising tide lifts all ships sort of thing. I mean, I feel like these topics, <laughs> these topics, as they do at the end of an empire, are becoming more acceptable, and that's a whole, a whole different, uh, a whole different subject. But um, I feel like these topics are becoming more acceptable, and with them, the more end of the empire. You mean questioning? No, I just mean the end of end of <laughs> the. Uh, as, as 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 America slowly collapses like a uh, uh, cake without flour or something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, um, as but, the center um, of civilization moves, as it's going. Oh, look the uh, the, the 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 image came up. Did oh, you no, posted post, that? I just, I just posted that from my blog. Oh, blogging. it's from the blog. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. As, as the center, of, yeah, as the center of yeah. civilization moves ever eastward, as it has been doing for the past few hundred years, yes. it's just going to yes. keep going. It's going to it's going to land in China now. So you have more people questioning the official narrative, which means, and right. as a result, more people questioning the official narratives in and everything. So, so 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 more people questioning the official narrative in. And you know the mainstream means that the paranormal is is elevated some, right? And right. Okay. more people questioning the mainstream narratives in the paranormal elevates these ideas that have gone un unaddressed, like yeah. the idea of the importance of the individual. You know, um, and so that that's sort of my interpretation of it. Um, and uh, if. <laughs> You know, if if the implosion of the West is the price to pay for that, well, then yeah, fair shake. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's go for it. Um, uh, I, uh, I I am very much encouraged by by the direction in which I see Fortiana driving. Discuss. Yes. 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 yes exactly. Well, the thing is, that a Fortian mindset is. Is that mindset? It's just an adaptation of the same thing of, of questioning everything. That's that's a that's a Fortean mindset. Let's let's accept that some of this stuff happens, but then figure out you know, but take it with a grain of salt while still being interested in it and thinking right, that and there's something there. I mean that that's been that's been sorely missing from the UFO thing. Right, and with all the stupidity that comes with that, um, yeah. <laughs> 
Because, I mean, there is, you know. You must believe. You must not believe. You know. Hillary is a shape shifting reptilian yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. With all the, with all the in, inane stuff that comes with that, there's a lot of good that comes with that. And I don't think we can, you know, the, the fact that people are questioning what they're being told, I think, is the most healthy trend we've seen in a long time. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, I'm not, I'm not saying that sort of a wake up sheeple sort of way. I'm saying that in a very, very uh, a very, uh, a very just just healthy, optimistic sort of way, you know the fact that like I don't care what it is, I'm like, you know it's I um I work a lot in uh in public schools and like half the time I see myself thinking to myself you know man these kids need to just mind their role and and, and listen to their teachers but half the time I find myself thinking you know what like your teachers. They're they're good people and they mean well, but they 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 don't they don't entirely they're, hold, they're are, holding are, you are, back. Yeah, yeah, you know you're tra- you're still trapped in this in this uh, this governmental, you know, uh, this governmental consumer farm, and uh, start right. thinking for yourselves, you know. Yeah, that's a it's it's a tough that's a old um, well, I don't know it's probably not just a Buddhist thing, but. Um, uh, when I got married in a Buddhist temple many years ago, I figured, well, maybe at least I'd better figure out um, where uh, where all where this all comes from. And one of the issues that brought up, we brought up was you have to learn the artists too. Anybody, you have to learn the 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 the, par, the what's the word the reigning paradigm before you go in and start messing with it. Right. I mean, you have to know. Um... Otherwise, it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. You know, you can come in and say something that's like that's completely original, but if nobody understands what you're talking about, it's kind of useless. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's the old it's it's the old art thing. You have to know the technique before you can break the technique. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm sure you the same thing with any kind of artist. Like a, a musician has to know the technique before they can break the technique. They can't just come in and start playing junk. <laughs> well, some people can occasionally. Well, we 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 all think that. We- we don't need to, but we we do. We need to know. We need to know how to run before you, to walk before you know how to run. Yeah. So I, you know, or, I I was my for myself. I was taught a healthy disrespect for authority and somebody who thinks they know what they're talking about from early on. But I was also taught to listen to it because if you listen carefully, either you'll learn something or you can say you're full of crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For no other reason, just like to know if what you're doing has already been done. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing too. Yeah, that too. I mean, you could you're continuously. I mean, you 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 said you were just surprised when somebody hadn't done something on um, smell and taste in in close encounters and paranormal encounters. But then again, you know, I'm not. Who's going to write another ground trace book or another you know abduction book? It's like who wants to read those? But uh, apparently, people do. <laughs> you know, okay. I, one of my favorite one of my favorite things that I wrote in the book was. I had to address Roswell because you have to. Um, yes, I know. I now, and you even said that in the book. Yeah, I know. I have to address since, it, though. Since I now live in Roswell, right? You yes. That, right? Ro- yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My, my, my movie theater is not, the Aurora, not New Mexico. Is the, is the Area 51 Aurora movie theater in Roswell, Georgia. <laughs> the high school marching band show is taken. That's the What? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the high school marching band show this year. Of all the years for them to do a UFO themed show, it's the year that I move out here, right? It's it's the idea of 
uh, alien. It's an alien abduction themed marching band show. I can't. I've got to go see. <laughs> I've got to go see this show. <clears throat> Uh, one of the listeners nines again says, "I notice a high emotional or high." We'll get to um, uh, arrival here in a second. <laughs> I notice high emotional or high emotional or high strangeness circumstances tend to put a sort of smoky or sulfury smell in the nose. That could well be the endogenous DMT they were speaking about earlier. But I've noticed that at such moments in my life, although also though olf- olf- olfactory hallucinations do not accompany some psychotic episodes. Um, oh, do accompany some psychotic episodes. Never seen a shadow of Bigfoot, and I spend lots of time in the trees. Yeah, I mean, they, they do accompany <clears throat> some episodes. Um, I have never run into any account. There might be one out there because we're in the age of the internet, but yeah. I've never run into any account where somebody has taken DMT and in any sort of form and um, experienced an olfactory hallucination. Having said that, um, apparently... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, burnt DMT smells like you know if if you ingest it in the in the uh, if you smoke DMT which looks like sort of a little bit of earwax I've been told um, yellowy block of stuff if you uh, smoke DMT that way it smells like burnt plastic um, when it's smoking so yes you know, it does oh how do I know that <laughs> womp womp yeah um, and it, it was it was uh, it looked like it looked uh, when I saw it it looked like it looked like white powder. It looked like cocaine or something. Weird. But yes, very, very strong burnt plastic smell was in the air um, when right. that was going on. And I was just like, Jesus, what sounds like, smells like somebody's burning army men or something. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, 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 I live in Roswell, Georgia now, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, if, if I had written a book about Roswell, it'll probably sell a lot better than this book. Um uh, but yeah, but nobody know, who's worth anything writes something because they think it'll sell well. They write it because <laughs> they write it because they they have to do it. I know. No, I I, I don't want to sell books. I just want people to pay attention. That's all. That's all I really want. Yeah. Um, um, and not in, like pay attention to me in terms of like. No, no. I mean, I know what you mean. You like, pay yeah. attention. I I wrote something. And I've got some ideas here. Please notice them and and respond, please. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, or take it further, which would be even better. So I so I I had to write about Roswell a little bit, and I said in the book I said ufology needs another conversation about Roswell, like a submarine needs a screen door. Yeah, <laughs> I totally I still stand by that because well, I totally agree yeah, with you. Yeah, um, but I, it led some it, led, it leads to some interesting connections. So it's, it didn't didn't have too much uh, too much chagrin with that. Yeah, why did you put it in the book? You didn't have to, but why did you? <sighs> I can't remember why you put it in there. Well, I put it. Well, I put it in there because there are smells associated with Roswell. Um, well, sorry, Roswell, Roswell's, Roswell's here in Georgia. This is Roswell. Yes. Um, there are some associated with Roswell. Um, Jacques Vallée once mentioned that the fact that there weren't a lot of credible smells associated with Roswell implied that it might not be as um, as legitimate as a lot of people would, would would handle. And I felt like that 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 sentence alone warranted the fact that it should be mentioned. Um, but you know, there's, there's, there's this intriguing theme of people encountering these smells with the supernatural and having it stick to them, you know? Um, Oh yeah, that's right. You had a whole bit section on that. That would stay with them for like days or weeks. Right. Right. Couldn't wash Um, it off. In this case, it was, uh, uh, Leroy Wallace's widow who said that, uh, there was this awful, like acrid, 
burnt smell that just stayed with him forever. Um, and you see that in certain, uh, you see that in certain ghost cases. You see that in certain Sasquatch cases where there was a story of a one man who, um, well, a couple stories, Sasquatch stories, I believe, but like there was one man, um, who, uh, ran into some Sasquatch in the woods and, when, when he returned to his tribe, he smelled like them. So he was like, not only did he come back from that experience of, of running into the Sasquatch, he returned as a prophet, like as a, as a not a prophet, but a, as, a, as, a, as a shaman, basically. Yeah. But he also stank, so they put him in a hut all by himself. <laughs> um, you'll find other, you know, Native American lore where um, people, where women were abducted by Sasquatch and smell like Sasquatch forever after that. Um, and you'll find uh, spirit stories. I have a spirit story from uh, Lon Strickler in there who, um, he said that a ghost that looked like a, a, a who was dressed in antebellum clothing and smelling like honeysuckle ran through him and left uh, a honeysuckle smell, a disgusting honeysuckle smell sticking to his person for like weeks. And huh, interestingly enough, honeysuckle contains scatol and indole, those, you know, those fecal compounds that we talked about. Um, huh. So, you know, it's, 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 again, it's this web of like, well, are these connections or are they not? But I think the fact that you have these uh, scents that tend to linger on the witness is not an insignificant detail either. Right. Uh, the the first question that comes up to me when you say these smells stuck with them, could they smell it or could other people or both? Because if it's with well, you all the it, time, of course, you know that you stopped smelling it. Yeah, you, you're, 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 uh, your nose adapts to right. the smell. And yeah, that, that, that's, a, that, that's a very common thing. Um, in almost... In at least two of the three examples, it was a spouse. Um, but in the other examples, it was like you know people of the surrounding community. So, okay, so the the, the um, person says it stuck to them for days, weeks, or forever, but they couldn't actually smell it. it was other people because it'd be very inter- highly interesting to me if it, they could always smell it, like it would never go away, and that would seem more like less like a neurological thing or a, a you know something doing something to do with your physical smell apparatus sense. Well, and it's, more to do with like what's going on in your head. Right. It seems like it would always change if it, if you can smell all the time. You know, it seems like after a while you would right. get used to it. Yeah, that's... But they did um, get used to it, and it was other people that smelled it. Well, you've got to remember, there's a difference between... There's a difference between experiencing the smell clinging to you for the rest of your life and experiencing it over, the, over a couple of weeks, you know. I ass- right. I would assume that every morning I would assume that every morning you would notice the smell again, although we do notice smells in our sleep, so that's you know yeah. that asks, that asks some questions as well yeah, and the other thing is 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 there something physically changed in them because you it, obviously your skin's going to uh, flake off and all that, and eventually it's it's not, whatever it is the, the surface of your skin or whatever it was hair all that that would pick up that smell is gone after a while, so this would indicate that it was the body is producing it at that point. <clears throat> Well, yeah, you hear you hear tales of people who like take six and seven showers <laughs> who've had these yeah. experiences. Um, yeah, I mean that's 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 another good question too. I mean, the, the idea that somebody would ha- have a smell like that for their well, there are some apocryphal stories, right? Um, but even for more of, than a few days, I mean, it's after if you wash yourself that much and get rid of the clothes and all that, 
I don't think even a, after you, you know after a couple of days even a skunk smell's gone. Well, there's some ap- apocryphal stories from Linus Pauling, who was you know a, sort of a, a scientific luminary, yeah, um, in the world of chemistry, who who claimed that people who uh, mishandled hydrogen telluride would actually um, become infused for the rest of their lives with rotten garlic and. To this, to this, to the to the extent that they would actually kill themselves because of the, because they were socially ostracized. Um, so people have called that into question, right? Um, and I ha- I also have a hard time believing that like unless it's something within the someone's unless it's unless it's endogenous, I have a hard time believing right. that someone would carry that smell with them for the rest of their life. Well, something that's been br- running around in my brain since the beginning of this, and you mentioned it way at the beginning, having to do with um. Uh, like a quantum effect, if you want to call it. I hate using that word because it's such a catch-all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but having like like the uh, you know two particles that are you know that are when they're in contact, the they remain or you know if they're if they're somehow, um, uh, what's the word? If the if the two particles are connected in some way, they will always be connected no matter where they are. So you could you know be, supposedly you could be around a, a really crappy smell, and the smell could be completely gone from you. But because of the um, the uh, what's the word? I can't think of words anymore. But because of the f- fact that the, the your particles and the smelly particles are the thing that caused them um, uh, are in some way entangled that that would cause the smell forever, whether or not it was sitting on your skin or not. And might not even be coming out of you. It must might just be around you. Well, I mean, you know, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, like we've all had smells that like tend to stay in our noses that we can't get out. Yeah. But also we have, nose. we have this, we have this amazing ability to take smells that are, um, neutral or even pleasant and ascribe to them unpleasantness based upon this, based upon the, you know, the environment that we find ourselves associating that smell with. Um, um, specifically thinking about an anecdote that I included in the book, um, which was, uh, which was about James Harriet, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the famous, uh, veterinarian and author, uh, from Britain, the animal novelist, the animal novelist. Yes. Um, when he was in the Royal air force, he used a, a, a soap, that was really popular in, in Britain at the time. Oh uh, yeah, during the first the first night that he was away, and it's a, it's a soap, so it smells good. But the the day was so the traumatic, the was so traumatic. Yeah, for him leaving his wife and going through medical examinations and dealing with like being in in the military for the first day. That for the rest of his life, he just recoiled at the scent of that soap. So then I mean, there is this idea that this that that a smell can just sort of. I mean, in some ways, it's in some ways it transcends time, right? I mean, it's 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 you smell it and you're you're instantaneously taken back, right? Yeah, well, it it goes into the the uh, hopper along with um, anything else that is not explainable in conventional physics, <laughs> which is what all this weird paranormal stuff points to. It's not explainable in conventional physics, but is. In quantum physics or in information theory, there is a door left open for weirdness or what we think of as weirdness now because we're locked into the the uh, classical physics um, model. Right. It's shoved right. down our throats constantly. And it's also very hard to, for most people, including me, to understand the quantum and or um, informational theory of uh, reality. Yeah. And I have a friend who is... Um 
I mean, I love the guy to death. I want to kill him, but, but I love him to death. Um, <laughs> he was at my wedding. Um, he is a uh, he works um, with uh, a subsidiary space organization, um, physics based space organization, and like I admires work and he's a great scientist. But I cannot post anything even remotely. In the past couple of weeks, I've not been able to post anything remotely like questioning of the scientific establishment or anything without him just sort of jumping on it. And one of the, you know, some of his fodder is criticizing people's use of, uh, of the word quantum, which look, I'm totally on board with, but it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this whole, like, it cannot be. So it must not be idea that like, it's so hard to snap people out of. I mean, like I, oh man, it's, it's rough. It's hard for me to snap out of it sometimes. In a, in a lot yeah, but, of ways, and in a little slightly okay, different way, but, but yeah. But yeah, you you say that, but there's a personality difference between that and somebody who like sees a status and then goes out of their way to be right. Like, exactly. Actually, quantum of quantum events are only at the micro level as opposed to the macro level. I'm like, yes, I realize that, but the fact that it happens at the micro level must cause must call into question that things can happen at the macro level. Right. Exactly. And of course, the response is, well, yes, it's possible, but highly unlikely. So therefore, no. <laughs> like, just. I didn't ask for your input, buddy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, the yeah. thing is, it, I don't mind when people speak like that when we're having a conversation. Not like, you're stupid and I'm not, and uh, I have the entire weight of the scientific uh, establishment behind me, even though it's only my version of the scientific establishment behind me. I can't stand those people. But if somebody comes at, you know, they're, they're, occasionally somebody will engage me in conversation or something online about something I said, and I either change my opinion or it is, you know, it is cha- it, it, it either change my opinion or it is um, uh, affected so that it's not the exact opinion I held before. And I like that. But, I, you know, like you said, the person that just comes in, well, that's full of shit because, I, you know, be, because um, I say it is. And you know what? Part of the time you might be right. But when you start getting subtle about some of these things. Coming in with that that sledgehammer to talk about to to, to beat beat the subtlety and submission into the submission doesn't work because the sledgehammer starts missing it. In my opinion, right? No, the that's, sledgehammer that's, starts missing the subtlety. No, that's that's a very eloquent way to put it, um, and one that I'll likely draw upon in the future because it's just please it's, do. And the yeah, yeah I have I mean, this, it's, I, it's it's go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it's 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 one of those things where um people assume that because they cannot conceive of something that it must be fallacious. Inconceivable. Um, <laughs> well well it's well I I'm not I'm not I'm not honestly honestly I'm not inconceivable, not therefore this impossible. The, this this might be a good segue into the arrival because I'm not beating yes. up on anybody, but like there was a question broached um, on the, the Radio Mysterio forums about, like, I can't believe that an advanced alien intelligence would come to Earth and couldn't understand English, the English language. And to me, that's one of those things that's like, well, okay, so have you ever considered why you can't conceive of that? Because, like, there yeah. might be some sort of deeper textual. I'm not, I'm not beating up on anybody. I'm really not. No, no, um, I understand. There might be a deeper, I, I saw that and I agreed with there you. There might be. Yeah, 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 totally. So, so there might be a ex- deeper existential reality to to what um, that particular civilization, the way that they interpret time, where it hasn't even occurred to them to try to interpret, hasn't even occurred to them as to why they should try to interpret 
our language in the way that it's meant to, left to right, linearly, you know? Yeah. Um, because, um, but honestly, before I read that short story, I never thought of, like, an, 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 an alien intelligence, spoiler alert, an alien intelligence, like, representing entire ideas, whole cloth, all at once, in one visual format. Bam. Right. You know, that hadn't really occurred to me. And like, so, so if, if, if that hasn't occurred to me, and if that occurred to an author, a sci-fi author, what have we not even thought about? <laughs> right, exactly. That, I don't yeah. think that yeah. could have occurred to a sci-fi author or any author a hundred years ago. Well, it might have. Right. But, but, but still, with yeah, advances in, you know, how people in neurological um, research, psychological research neuro, and neuropsychology and um, maybe even other things like physics and mathematics and uh, things like that, it that kind of thought becomes possible. So, yeah, like exactly what you're saying, who's to say what kind of thoughts going to become possible? The, the problem I had with that interpretation is you're extrapolating from what you know and what you think to something that you don't think could be possible because it doesn't fit with your extrapolation, if I'm saying that right. No, I think that's, I think that's well, very well articulated. And what, um, and what excites me is if something is so, is too, without being stupid because that's really possible, is two or three or five steps ahead of, of a logical extrapolation, meaning, I suppose, an intuitive extrapolation. Intuitive extrapolations that seem to make sense are very exciting to me. It, you know, stupid extrapolations are not. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Maybe he, we're, considered, we're, maybe he considered the arrival or, or the, the, you know, the heptapod thing a stupid uh, extrapolation. And, well, and, and, and nearsighted extrapolations. I'd be a little bit kinder with that, you know? Um, yeah, I guess so. That's, I said, well, I can't remember who it was, but I said maybe he considered that the the, uh, the screenwriter and the original writer were making a, a, an erroneous extrapolation. And to me, it was an intuitive and elegant extrapolation. Yeah, and if, if, it, was, if it was, for example, in this, in this particular case... Um, maybe we would have described the movie here in a second, too. But the <laughs> yeah. story... Um, I, I have been hearing, so the the film made its debut. It would not debut, but like it it screened at uh, Fantastic Fest in uh, Austin, Texas, this past week. Oh, those and bastards! There were plenty of people in the comment uh, boards of again one of my favorite movie sites, Birth Movies Def. Yeah, they should be paying me. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, there are a lot of people who have read the book and said, not only does it, you know, not only does it manage to adapt the spirit of that of the of the short story, but also tends to um, perhaps even uh, Go expand it. and embellish upon it, which yeah. is like that's that's exactly what I want to hear because I love I love that particular short story. Yeah, I think embarrassingly enough, I think I'm five pages from the end. Well, you know where it's going. Yes, I know exactly where it's going. Yeah. It, it fits and starts. What it is, it's, it, people don't know. It, it's a movie called The Arrival based on, it used to be called something else, but called Arrival, not The Arrival, just Arrival. It used to be, well, the story, the the short story is the story of your life, and it yeah. was originally called that. And then they changed it to the arrival, and they were uh, then they were like, "Oh no, there was a, a another uh, movie, Charlie Sheen movie yes. <laughs> from a couple of years ago." Yes. So they just, it's just now called Arrival, and it, uh, November eleventh, I believe, is when it drops. Yeah, because they thought "Story of Your Life" sounds like some weird romantic comedy or some stupid thing, or it sounds like a Charlie Kaufman movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I would love to see what Charlie Kaufman did with this theme. Yeah, exactly. that would be amazing. Um, but yeah, the point of the story is that some sort of extraterrestrial civilization, um, comes to the earth and they don't come and invade. 
they all they have these big weird looking craft because I suppose they must have craft that's like um, park themselves over cities and what they try to do is figure out they try to tell us something but the thing is that you know the, the governments of earth are like well, what the hell are they doing are they going to invade what are they going and what they you know they get people from all over the world and this concerns one linguist i guess played by amy adams that um interacts with whatever these things are and tries to figure out what they're trying to say so that there won't be any misinterpretation of what's going on and hostilities ensue or whatever. Um, and the, the fascinating thing to me is that she has to figure out their language. So there, there's an alien language thing, which is amazing to me. Um, there's, uh, and then the language, in, in, in trying to decipher their language, you figure out what the limitations of our communication and the way we communicate can be. And how it, how it could be improved upon or whatever it is, and you know the the point of the, the their written language and their spoken language are completely different, and their written language, as you said, Josh, is they're they're made up of not ideograms but just these intricate patterns that look like ink blots or or um, or what's the word or some kind of abstract well, art like and Rorschach an entire yeah Rorschach exactly something it's yeah. like it, all the visual information is represented at once like it's yeah. It's all there. It's like a picture. Yeah, it's a picture which communicates um maybe an idea, I suppose, or it it depends what it is, but or a story, I have no idea, but it an incredibly intricate communication in one large blob <laughs> with yeah, yeah. curlicues and 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 arabesques coming off it and everything is at least I remember that's how it's described in the story. Yeah, I think that's an accurate way of doing it, and it, it sort of ties into the superior war hypothesis, which is that the way that a, a, situ, a culture uh, perceives itself, perceives reality, is based upon the way that it, it, it converses and communicates. Um, which, holy shit, I would love to see what Terrence McKenna had to say about this short story. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it would be one of those things that he kept on bringing up, like, you know... I'm sure in his conversation about the cephalopods, he would at some point inevitably try to bring up this wonderful short story by Ted Chang. I don't know if you've read it or not. Story of your life, but um, in it he hypothesized. You know, I can just I can just hear him doing that. You know, that, that is sure you're, you're tied for you yeah you're tied for first place with my friend Robert for of uh, Terrence McKenna impersonation. That's great, actually. This is the way you do it. I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with this uh, short <laughs> story by uh, Ted Chiang, but um, it's it's great. And like, I honestly, like, I'm excited. Like, I want to pick up his his book of of sci-fi because I've heard that. Like, I've heard some people be like, "Oh, you think this is a good story?" Like, his other stuff is great too. I'm like, "Holy cow!" Like, this is like this is this is PK Dick level, in my opinion. Yes, yes. Um, ideas. You know, I'm not sure if the execution is on the same level for better or worse, but, um, no, to me, it's like if you took, uh, Philip K. Dick and, um, took the hippie ish out of him. Yeah. I mean, if you can yeah. apply that to Philip K. Dick, which I totally do. <laughs> and, in, yeah. and, and not yeah. in a derogatory way at all. No, I think it's, I think that's a really, really good way of putting it too. Um, breaking up a bit there. Uh, now you're back. No, sorry. Um, but uh, I'm just really excited because I've heard nothing but good good stuff. Um, my favorite 
Because it's, it's going to be egg on my face because I've been pimping this movie to, to you and the Radio Mysterioso audience for like what six months now, something um, like that. But yeah, that, but I'm, I don't I'm care. I'm I'm perfectly willing to be a big fat fanboy for it too. Well, I'm excited that there's there's a well funded book that or, or well funded film rather that um is about. It's, it's an alien invasion movie about language. Like that's just that 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 tickles all my buttons, you know. Yeah, for, and there's uh, there, there's no here. yeah there's no explosions. Well, I don't know. I, that's what the reviews say. There's no explosions or big fights or anything in it. Yeah. There's nothing like that. It's just it's you know how would we deal with something that's not us? I mean that's the that's probably if you wanted to put it in sort of a one sentence um, you know, a summary of what 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 uh, what's going on in the movie. How would we deal with right. something that isn't us? And some people are favorably comparing it to um, some of the ideas and some of the uh, themes from The Abyss, which you know I still think is a a great film. Um, you know, I, I think it's 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 a uh, leans a little bit heavy on the action for me, and uh, I, I appreciate, but think that the uh, director's which I've never seen. Cheesy, but uh, what was that? Which I've never seen. Are you, Greg Bishop? Do you know why really? I've never? I will tell you why I've never seen it. Why? Because I I will tell you why. I was working at a company that was supposed to do the 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 encoding the digital cinema encoding for it. And the original release or the laser disc? The, the original release to theaters. No shit. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh Avatar. I'm sorry. Not. Uh, I'm talking about the abyss. The Abyss. Okay, it wasn't The Abyss. Oh, okay, okay. No, you don't have to see Avatar. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I hadn't seen Av- I hadn't seen Abyss at that point. Uh-huh. And it, I had, you know, I have a bad opinion of Cameron anyway because I think he's an asshole. That should not affect how I think about his films. But we were going to we were running The Abyss at we were going to have The Abyss at work and we were going to have to sit there for, you know, for like 2 weeks beforehand and they the release date was coming up and I was, they were going to put me up in a hotel right next to work so that I could stay there and we could do all the work needed to encode all these things into uh, uh, um, digital files um, and send them out to theaters. And after we had this all set up, James Cameron decided he wanted to change everything and everything got pushed back and I missed out on a whole bunch of overtime and I heard stories about him having, you know, tantrums about it. And it's just like, you know what? He's such an asshole and it keeps me from watching the stupid movie and it shouldn't. Because apparently a lot of, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kubrick was an asshole to people. Amazing movies. And, and uh, 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 um, uh, JFK. Oliver Stone's apparently a, you know, a world-class asshole to people. But God damn, look at his films. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's the artist art thing, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So I no, shouldn't hold that against him. And plus, it, you know, oh, I know what the bad engram was. It was from Titanic. Mm. And his presentation of himself at the at the Academy Awards. I want, I once wrote an essay about how much I I hated um, uh, Armageddon, and I started out by talking about the Titanic and what what a uh, what a colossal asshole he was at the Academy Awards when you know I'm on top of the world and let's have a few moments of silence for everybody in the Titanic. He didn't care about those people. He just wanted it to look good. So yeah. Um. My, my, my take on James Cameron is he's either the world's schlockiest artier or the <laughs> artiest schlock producer, you know. Um, 
one or the other. Uh, but uh, and you know, I, I like the abyss. Um, my my biggest problem watching it post watching it post fourteen rebirth is that there's this moment where they're like, there are these you know there are these entities in the abyss, and you know where they come from. Well, they must come from space. Like what the <laughs> why do they have to come from space? You know, like what is the, the weirdest thing you could think of that they go space? You're dealing with you're dealing with the like the lowest part, one of the lowest parts of the planet Earth. Yes, and that's where they're living, and they're, like, they must come from space, of course. Yeah, that's my. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> shaking my head. Okay, well then I've, I've, I I I said well this is added to these huge stack of movies that people say I must see. So and so so you have or haven't seen the abyss? No, haven't haven't. Nope. You should you should. Um, it's very Cameron, but it's also like it's also not a blow em up alien movie, which is something that you don't get very often, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, an almost almost never. It, it it dovetails. Contact really, is the only other one I can think of. It dovetails really well with a lot of um, Ivan Sanderson Invisible Resonance sort of lore. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, Day the, the Earth Stood Still is another one. Yeah, Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, but with um, no blow em ups. Yeah, I'm trying to think of non blow em up <laughs> non blow em up uh, alien movies there, or non evil take over the world. No, well, there aren't too many. That, that I, I can think K-Pax. of. K-Pax. Yeah. I know, I, know, I know Red Pill Junkie's a fan of K-Pax. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's one he told me to see. Well, it's uh, when I start, when I see movies, it's almost by accident at this point. Because I'm doing so many other things. I don't know how people have time to watch movies. Well, it's because it's their thing. I mean, like my, my parents, my dad is it's a vociferous um, cinephile. Uh-huh. And he's just he's just burning through movies and like he'll he what was it one time he sent me um because he also he'll also like burn them off of uh record them on DVD off of like HBO and stuff and at one point he's, at one point he sent me home with like The Tourist Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp with a sticky note on it that says not that good I'm like, <laughs> Dad. Dad, why do I want to watch this? If it's not that good, I know why I don't watch movies because I I watch them for work for twenty years almost, and I got sick of them because ninety nine percent of them sucked. So I'm disinclined to watch any movies because I think, oh my god, this is going to suck and it's going to yeah, be a huge waste of time. And everything sucks, Greg. I know it's a Sturgeon's law, except yeah. my law is, is is it's not. What did you say? Ninety percent. Mine is ninety nine. Yeah. 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 You know, I I think I saw one movie the entire time I was no maybe two or three the entire time I was working in post production that I liked because I I was you know I signed to watch these things or I had to watch them while they were going make sure there's nothing wrong with them while we were copying them or transcoding them or whatever and the one I can remember that two of them I can remember that I liked and they're not too far apart in in time was uh, um, Ed Wood <laughs> right which I loved and yes. um, Blair Witch Project. You know, time has been kind to the Blair Witch, I feel like. I liked it the first time I saw it. Yeah, I feel like some people... I feel like some people remember its legacy rather than the film itself. 
yeah, the, the, in, yeah. The, endless, the endless like glut of VHS or not the VHS but handheld first person found footage yeah yeah small, exactly like, at the time it was at the time it was so novel and like some of those some of the um some of the performances are actually kind of compelling like, yes. it sounds like these people are super lost like it sounds just like these people are lost in the woods yes the fact that like it was the fact that you had people believing that it was a real like found footage film mm-hmm. i think is a testament to, to the film's you know efficacy yes and i don't know what Hacksand did after that they were like a hot thing for a while but they didn't I don't know what they parlayed it into. Well, they weren't involved with the sequel. No. Um, the girl went on to be on that uh, sci-fi series. Was it sci-fi or was it ABC? Taken? Oh, okay. Remember? Do you remember? I remember the actress, but I don't remember seeing any. I think I probably saw five minutes of Taken. It was a Spielberg, it was a Spielberg produced. Yeah, yeah uh, think about abductions. Abduction, yeah. yeah. And heavily I'll, influenced I'll, I'll, by Bud Hopkins, I believe. Kind of would like to go see it again. Like, like to watch it again now that I have some idea of what the hell reality's like, um, <laughs> or at least a um, f- an alternative view of it. You know what? I, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, not reality, like with the capital R, but like what the actual lore is. Yes. Yes, exactly. I, I've never seen anything that got close to what I think the actual reality is. Maybe I should watch K packs and. And uh, uh, abyss and things like that, but um, not, not reality because I don't I don't know if there is a reality, but my idea of how strange it is. Have you and I talked about the end of Close Encounters? No. You know that there was a bunch of like test footage that was thrown out. Yeah, like there was a there was supposed to be like a a super spindly alien that you barely see like one shot of. I've seen little bits and pieces of that where the arms go like almost off the screen. Yeah, and there was there was another like they wanted to film the the short grays at half speed, so that they'd be running around really fast, and also like had them like in like trapeze wires, so they'd be floating and spinning above the people. I think I've seen bits and pieces of these things, which is not like that's that's a lot less grounded than what came out. Yeah, I know. I, I probably would have liked that a bit more, and it would have confused <laughs> like, most people. Not that I'm not that I'm smarter. I'm just weirder. Um, right, but it's but I think it's I think it's more um, I think it's more true to form of a you know a real yeah I'm, government led CE three K would probably be like that you know? yeah shit that makes no logical sense whatsoever is a yeah. lot more realistic to me than aliens running down a ramp or shooting at people or whatever the hell yeah yeah or abducting people and dragging them down halls I mean but you can yeah you can, you can you can find that footage online I just. Uh, some yeah, because I I've, I saw it years ago. I don't know where. I think somebody had a you know like a outtake you know something what? tape or something that I saw. You know, a film gets this right and it gets a lot of crap for it not getting it right is um the Mothman prophecies. Oh yeah, I'm like like in terms of like being a faithful adaptation of the events or the book, it's not that good. But in terms of like representing like the weird creepy mouthfeel of the way that this stuff really works or the yeah. way this stuff really is, yep, it kind of kind of you know, nails it right between the eyes. Which um, one? The Mothman prophecies. Yeah. And just in terms of like the way that like, it's just mundane enough to not be, to not alarm anybody, but just weird enough to the person to be sort of unnatural. Like it actually, I rewatched it again last year with, uh, bought in like the, the $5 bin at Walmart or whatever. <laughs> um, it's not, it's not as bad as I remembered. Huh? 
I don't. I watch stuff again more than I watch new stuff. So you know, but I got to watch some. I got to you know go back through the memory banks here and try and get some pick up some ones I haven't seen. Because well, you know, I might be some. You know, there might be some new ones that are my favorite. My last favorite movie that's in my like top ten was um, the most recent one that's in my top ten is Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Yeah. Um, that's a Charlie Kaufman joint, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. You know who's a good guy to talk about this is um is Soraya. He will he he is a very avid Netflix observer. Yeah, well maybe we'll talk about some of this on uh Tuesday during the uh pop up or whatever we whatever we want to call it. Yeah, yeah. I made my folks watch Mirage Man, by the way. Would you do that? Why'd you want to <laughs> why would you want to submit the uh, put, but, submit them to that? Because because I st- still contend that it's one of one of the most one of the best um, one of the best documentaries about the UFO phenomena because, um, <laughs> partially because, partially because about a third or, or more of it is based upon Project Beta. <laughs> well, no, I mean, yeah, that's part of it. But the thing <laughs> no, is well, that I think Pilkington and Lundberg took what I thought and what I was doing, became entranced with it, and then took it further. Yeah, which is what I hope people do with my stuff, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, sometimes I didn't agree with how they took it further, and other times I'm like, God damn, that's, that, I wish I'd done that. That's great, you know? So I, to, to, to me, again, it's, it's again, bringing, back, bringing back to this idea of the microcosm of the phenomena. Like, to me, it's, it's, it's a lot like the way the UFO phenomena is. Like, 90% of that film, well, not 90%, 75% of that film is dedicated to a government op. Yeah. And the other 25% is this sort of, like, who knows? Some yeah. weird stuff is happening. Yeah, what's and this weirdness this? going on? And there's exactly. no way of capturing it. And the only way they could do it was the way they shot it, the way they edited it, and the the music and all that. I mean, the, the weirdness and the, the that that other ifness weirdness can't describe in words. I think they pulled that in a little bit with or, or quite a bit with the way it was done. Yeah, I mean that's I mean, that's why that's why again I contend that it's it's for, for my money. <laughs> Of course, both people involved with the documentary are featured on the back of the, the Brimstone Deceit. So, don't yeah, how do you, do you know Pilkington at all? Um, just through our email correspondence. Oh, okay. So, um, okay. But uh, I'm convinced that it's it's no, it's it's the best UFO documentary that I've seen personally. It's 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 great. Yeah, I don't know what my favorite is. Probably Farewell, Good Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because okay. the subject is so close it's, to me. It's it's the best UFO documentary for modern sensibilities. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would uh put my vote in that hat. Yeah. Along with you. But that's um you know uh, who knows what's coming up. You know, I uh Paul's I like a lot. It's not weird, it's just kind of like, you know, you you, you Is that is that the top twenty five, top ten? Yeah, top ten. I like it because you can show it to people that are sort of on the fence go, Well, maybe there's something to this. That's what that, and that's what he wanted to do with the film, and I think he does it. He did it very well. No, it's good. It's um, if, uh, but it's not. It's not the weirdness thing we're talking about. Not the the like as you call the mouth feel, which I think it's 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 totally accurate and very funny the way they, they use that term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 um. So you're like, I like I, I like Paul's, but I would be careful who I showed that to, <laughs> because of the way it might reinforce certain. Like if you're, yeah. Well, no, it's, I'm, it's, 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 I'm, it's, it's, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, pre, 
I'm predisposed to like it because it's it's a friend of mine and I think he did a good job. Just like I'm predisposed to like your book because you're a friend of mine and you did a good job. Oh no no, no that, that's not me saying. So take I'm, take but, it but, with uh, anybody listening. Take it with that uh, in mind. <laughs> no, it's 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 no, it's totally definitely worth watching. I I am. Um, is it is it available on like? Amazon or Netflix or anything though. I don't I think, think so. It's only available in Canada because of some strange um, distribution problems they had. Because yeah. that's, I think I saw it on like Vimeo or something. Uh, yeah. Which, which I hate to admit, but um, you know, <laughs> if there was a legitimate way to see it, I'd see it. Yeah, I don't even think. Oh, I think I do have a DVD of it. Uh, maybe I can make a copy and send it to you. Sorry, but no, no, Paul, I'm not going to do that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but but region uh, Canada region DVDs won't even play in the states, will they? The, uh, no, well, he, all, all I think or? he I think he um when it was over since I was sort of a consultant on it, I guess a little bit. I mean, he didn't interview me or anything like that, but we we he he solicited my opinion on a few things, so um that made me sort of kind of a member of one of the contributors. So he sent me one that's I believe he sent me one that's region free uh, or not nice. in the region free, but. United States region. Well, Paul, love you. Send me details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, that's that's a good one too. And uh, think of uh, James James Fox's stuff. Some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty I, good as well. But, but yeah, as, as far like, as go ahead. Oh, you first. You first. Sorry. As far as like you know, weirdness engendered about the subject in media presentations yeah Mirageman would be one um you know what's strangely enough um the last line and i've said this before in the last indiana jones film right right the space between spaces yeah why would anybody put that in a major motion picture? And, you know, because it makes, to me, it made, I, I heard that and I almost stood up and cheered. I was like, God damn, exactly. Somebody got it. I well, think the screenwriter got it by accident. See, and for me being cynical, I, I feel like it was an attempt to sound glib, ground or, <laughs> and then these are complete opposites, right? Ground or spiritualize what Indy was going after. Right, because you have this fanboy reaction that one of these either gone off after, after historical artifacts or religious artifacts. And depending on how you read that line, it's either very materialistic or very not materialistic. Yeah. As opposed to extraterrestrials, which is just like weird and out there. Um, yeah. You know, p- part of me, part of me wishes that. So, the, you know, the original, the, the, the concept behind the, the, the evolution of the Indiana Jones mythos, right? Probably not. So, so Spielberg's, Spielberg's original idea was like that it should reflect the era in which it should reflect the pulp novels of the era in which right. Indy was operating in. Right. Which is why you go back to like the twenties and it was a little bit more, um, it was a little bit less middle Eastern driven like with temple of doom being a prequel. It was a little bit more, um, doc savage sort of, uh, Burroughs adventure sort of, you know, uh, really deep jungle stuff as opposed to like those, you know, the sun bleached deserts and stuff that you ran into in, in, uh, first one. Yeah. So his idea that was that, you know, the, well, the, what were the pulp novels? So if, if we age up Indy as he's aging, what were the pulp novels of the fifties? Well, they were all saucer films, right? So 
the original script was, um, I believe it was a David Cup script, which was um, Indiana Jones versus the Flying Saucers, or Indiana Jones and the Flying Saucers. Right. Um, which I kind of would have liked to have seen him go like even more all in on that than <laughs> than to try to like force it into that forties pulp, you know, pulp thing. Um, just go ahead and see them go with like you know, which is what over Washington. Yeah, which is what the last one. You're, you're referring to the last one, right? Right, right. So, okay. so, so that Indiana Jones, um, Indiana Jones and the Flying Saucers evolved yeah. into, or yeah, or, or yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, late forties, early fifties kind of thing. Because there was yeah. a, he got caught in the yeah, uh, know, the first was, the thing that you know, grounded you know, me was the atomic testing. It's like oh okay, so it was early fifties, right? Right, 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 right. So, um, so that was sort of the thinking, the logic behind it. But I think by trying to make it more feel more indie and not pushing it in that sort of other direction, like with the times, I feel like they sort of ended up hedging their bets a little bit too much. Yeah, um, yeah. I but agree that was with that you. was the idea behind it because you know you know how the industry works. Like by the time it got to production, like ten people's fingerprints were all over the script, and it was yes. its own thing. Yes, exactly. And I am firmly of the opinion that the more fingerprints there are in a script, the worse it gets. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, it's just if there's ten, if you see like five, six, eight, ten screenwriters on there, no wonder the thing sucked. Because Part every everything that was good about it was diluted, or even if it was the third rewrite and then five, three more people rewrote it, it just turned in. It got diluted into 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 junk. Yeah, yeah. Art art, art by committee never works. Um, exactly. Yeah. There you go. The, the exception, and I would hesitate to call it art, but um, the product works is the Marvel model. Um, Marvel is a very heavily, as I understand it, is a very heavy producer. Um, oriented uh, filmmaking process. They get a lot of notes about you know the sharing the joined universe and everything, and they oh, they crank yeah. out films that are grounded in character and very enjoyable. I don't think they're art, but you know they're still no, they're uh, just they're just fun and silly. I mean, it's they're, they're I, um, uh, confections. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're like they're like a they're like a box of chocolates, <laughs> yeah. well, a, a well crafted box of chocolates. I'll give them that. But uh, yeah, I, I am not interested whatsoever in the Marvel universe. I, I think I saw Iron Man and I liked it. That's the last Marvel thing that I saw that I even cared about. See, I think you would. I think you would like the second Captain America. Really? Because yeah, because the because the second it goes into like paperclip. It goes into Project Paperclip territory. That's right. Because at the the end of the second. Yeah, uh, I meant the I meant the second uh, Iron Man, not the first, because the first one was good too, but the second one I liked even better. Did you say Iron Man? Iron Man. Iron Man. Iron Man. <laughs> Hi, my name is my name is James Spiderman, attorney at law. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Bobby Iron Man. <laughs> no, the second Captain America is um is uh is very much like the U.S. is the U- the United States government is infiltrated by Nazis. <laughs> it's like it's it's a pretty Head spinning, uh, head spinning take for a. No, there's another one you're going to have to keep throwing in front of my and keep having to throw in front of my doorstep and ring the doorbell and run away. (laughs) Yeah, I'll keep on doing it. It's fine. (laughs) James Uh, Spiderman. Spiderman. Iron Man. Spiderman. Whenever somebody like writes Spider Man without the hyphen in between, that's what I always see is Spider Man. (laughs) Spider Man. (laughs) I am the Spider Man. (laughs) <laughs> God, 
I can't. There was something last night that happened while we were. Oh, my sister was telling me that. It was totally off subject, but I, I made fine. I made we're, myself we're laugh. Not on subject, so yeah, I, I made myself laugh last night because my sister was telling me that she got pulled over by some cops because she made a left turn where there was didn't used to be a left turn, no left turn in her neighborhood, and they realized that she was from the neighborhood, so they got what went a lot easier on her. But the thing is, while they're sitting there giving her the ticket, they see another woman making the, waiting to make a left turn at the same spot. And she's like waiting for the traffic and waiting for the traffic. And she said, all of a sudden she looked over at us and she sees two cops and me staring at her. <laughs> wondering what the hell she's going to do. And she said, she kind of just pulled back into traffic and kept going. Um, well done. And made it the left. And I said, oh, I guess her spidey sense was tingling. <laughs> but that's like stupid spidey sense. <laughs> did, did I ever tell you about the friend of mine, a friend of a friend? He used to keep a dead bee in a vial. No. <laughs> Why? I feel like I've told you this. No? No. So they get a dead bee in a vial in their car so that whenever they were pulled over for speeding, they'd like take out the dead bee and throw it on the dashboard. And then when the officer came up, they'd be like, I'm sorry, officer. I was trying to swat this bee. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked, apparently. Oh man! Yeah, now that's public knowledge. Apparently, it worked every time until like until the officer until the officer realized that the bee looked, start, looked kind of dusty and like <laughs> had like two legs and like one wing. <laughs> the officer was like, "This is sketchy." <laughs> Let's go for like another twenty minutes because n- normally I start at eight and people kind of expect to be at eight, and we picked up some people in the like the second hour. Okay, then let's talk. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's you know, not me. Talk a little bit more. So, what's the next book? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny, like because we had talked about this last time. But and after that, I will ask you wh- what's occupying your brain right now. You know what what the th- what's the thing that's making you go, "All oh, right, this is cool." Whether it's UFO related or not, but what about yeah? You know, next book idea. So, next book idea, I've been kicking around some stuff. Um, I've <laughs> I've been. Kicking I've been kicking around a couple of co-authorship books, actually. Um, but kicking, I, kicking around an idea with Banal to do um, a book on the effects of UFOs on animals, mm. pets, and livestock. Yeah. Which I think would be a great book. It is a great um, book. You'd have, to be, you'd have to be a little bit selective or else you're going like, to fall down the, uh, the, the rabbit hole. Livestock mutilation rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah. Mutilated rabbit hole. I've been kicking around a great idea with with uh, Soraya. That's um, paranormal in the environment, which is looking at um, where paranormal events tend to happen. If there's some sort of environmental connection and folklore, you know, like you know, think about thinking about uh, fairies tending to inhabit boulder fields and the propensity of water around a lot of paranormal events. UFOs inhabit water. Sasquatch apparently traverse creeks. Um, yes. Yes. You know. Um, People have talked about spirits being manifesting above, above uh, underground streams and stuff. You've heard all these things. Um, I think there's something there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's, uh, it's well, actually, the the idea in um, uh, Rebirth of Pan that there's a lot of this stuff happens uh, in places where there are underground openings, like caves and mines and things. Yeah, of course. The big fear, the big fear is that um, the big fear is that you'll do all this research and then like you wind up with this giant bundle of data and the only, co- the only conclusion you can reach is so. 
You know, it's just like, oh, great books have been written with far less than so at the end. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Um, so that's an idea. I've, I've, I've talked to you about the Kelly Hopkinsville, in-depth Kelly Hopkinsville goblin encounter thing. That's right, because I said one of the guys, like Billy Bob's still alive or something, like one of the ki- guy, people that were kids there is apparently still alive, or at least was up till, you know, a couple of years ago, as far it's, as I know. It's a, it's, I'll be honest, and, and I'll be honest in non, uh, I'll be honest in non, um, I'll be honest and humble. It's a great idea. <laughs> like, it's an awesome idea. Yeah. I still know if I'm that guy. Like, I would, like, I kind of want to assign that to Lyle Blackburn and be like, Lyle, go do this. Um, how, how close are you to to, Kel, uh, to Kelly Hopkinsville, Kentucky? Seven or eight hours. No, that's kind of it. Yeah. I'm closer than he is, but um, I just don't know if I have those, <laughs> ironically, for someone with a master's in journalism, I don't know if that, I have those journalistic skills. Um, I'm much more you of a do. Dusty, I'm much more of a dusty morgue of the newsroom sort of guy, you know. Um, really, I like but, both. I really also, like both, and I don't think you should have any problem going. But you're talking to me here. Um, I don't see you having any problem with talking to anybody. All you have to do is go and start talking to people, and you know, all you have to do. And you're this way. You're you know naturally like jovial completely unassuming um non-threatening type person that people will open up to so all you have to do is find the right people and just go and be go be yourself with them and ask them interesting yeah. questions with a smile on your face and most of the time they answer when people don't open up to that warmth though they're it gets awkward for me real quick really like where, the, where they just like where like you you make like a uh i a guess so to sort of you know leaven the situation and, and they just ignore you yeah it's like Oh, no, I've had that happen, too. But, you know, I've, at that point, you know, it's kind of like that works 90% of the time or 80% of the time. Yeah. The rest of the time, it's like, okay, let's, you know, let's just get this over with because I'm going to write this thing anyway. It'd be nice to have it'd be nice to have your point of view in here because otherwise people will not even realize that, 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 that there's there's the part of it. And then if, you know, if there's a if there's a disagreement after that, you know, it's a vague threat. And after that, it's like, fine, if you don't want to be in it, fine, I won't bug you anymore. Um, yeah, Paul no, Benowitz's totally son true. was and, um, like that. Paul Benowitz's son, who kicked me out of his office, was like that. I was, I felt, I was oh, mortified. Yeah. But you know, I made an, I made an effort. I was in there with him for about ten minutes, trying to make an effort. Even after he told me get out. Yeah, I wasn't pushy. I just said, look, I'm going to write the book anyway. I'm on assignment to write it, and I would like to have your point of view. That's why I came over here. I'm not trying to exploit you. I'm not trying to drag you into it or anything like that. And he said, we don't want anything to do with it. Get out. Jeez. Yeah. And then, see, then I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, but, 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 but and it at happens. the same time, like, but at the same time, like, I think that it would be like, <laughs> there's still stuff going on with that case in a sort of weird way. Um, yeah. I heard there, there was like a, who have, sim- who have cited similar, yeah, there's like a new little flat near uh, Hopkinsville. Yeah, uh, which which makes me th- suspect that it would be a pretty rich vein to to mine. Right. Exactly. Um, but you know, on the flip side, I've I've had a novel percolating in me for a while, and uh, you know, I never thought I could I never thought I could play a jazz tuba for a living, and I never thought I could teach tuba for a living i never thought i could write a nonfiction book about entities and i'm sure as hell never thought i could do it twice so part of me is sort of wondering like what could i what, you know, could i possibly pull off a fiction book um 
Yeah, but you, seems- you keep doing stuff, and then yeah, that's that's how I feel. I can't write fiction. Every time I write it, it sounds like shit, and I throw it away. Yeah, you know, I, I um, I, 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 I feel like writing nonfiction is exhausting in the prep and easy in the execution <laughs> and the and you know. In some ways, I know this is not entirely true because I have author friends who would crucify me for saying this, but like, I feel like not. I feel like fiction is like easier in the prep, but more difficult in the execution. Um, you know, I, I have I have I have a great for you. Story that I've, I have a story that's been percolating for a while. I just need to tighten up a couple of things, but like, I'm not sure I could pull off the minutia of the execution. You know, um, in the way that I would want to do it, because like, yeah, I'm, well, you weren't sure you how you could do any of this other stuff, and you went ahead and did it. Yeah, so. yeah, I know. So you just have to want to. I mean, that's the. the one you have to want to, and then after you get past the wanting part, you have to have you have to become obsessed with it. If you don't want to, it's yeah. never going to happen. If you don't get obsessed with it, it's going to take forever. <laughs> yeah, but you know it's funny. Like I, I um, or at least do something on it every day, which is a sort of obsession. In a lot of ways, this this fourteen writing thing has been a lot easier for me than other aspects of my life because I've just well, you, know how you don't count on anybody else. And, well, I'm sorry. You don't have to count on anybody else. It's all on you. Right. I mean, that's in the end. That's the thing. Like, whenever you like, well, you've you've experienced what it's like trying to coordinate four people for a one-time podcast. Yes. Um, you know, trying to coordinate seven guys into a band is just it's impossible. It's frustrating. Yeah. Um, if you were making a buttload of money, I bet it wouldn't be as impossible. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, okay. So yeah. So seven people for a for a, band, for a startup band. Yeah. Um. It's a little bit more difficult. So, um, I don't know. So I'm playing around with that too, but none of these, like, I don't have a bee in my bonnet, as my mom would say, um, to do any of these right now. Um, I know that there's, uh, there's something that uh, I want to have a new project, but right now I'm just going to try to focus on continuing to usher this, uh, this current book into maturation, but there's, there's some stuff percolating. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to, I would love to do a, uh, honestly, I would, I would love to do a, a, a collaborative book with any of those folks that I mentioned, uh, Tim or Soraya, or you know what, Ren, if you're listening, I'd love to do a collaborative book with you too, buddy. Um, wow. he wants <laughs> to write a book. He's, he's kicking around ideas right now, I think. Yeah, he and I talked about it. I think it's. Oh, I don't, I'm not going to talk about what he, his ideas are. No, I'm not going to talk about it either. But I'm, I've, I've, uh, I, I think it's. You know, I'd like to help him out with it. I don't know if I want to co-write it with him, but I'd like to help him out with it. Right. He's frighteningly I, smart. I provided him with some resources. He is super smart. Um, I don't even know how like co-writing a book works, though. Honestly, unless you do like a a cripple a cripple uh, streeper tag team thing, like they did with. Uh, there are many yeah, different ways to do it. I mean, one person can write half, the other can write the other half. You can send it back and forth. You can assign different parts to people. You know, it, 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 there's no one way to do it. Oh, um, John on the on the uh, Ruddy Mysterioso uh, chat room says kudos to Kutchin for taking on a new topic with his with his oh, new sure, book. Thanks. The new animal book topic he proposes would be his bestseller because people with money adore cute mammals more than people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could do you could do signings at PetSmart, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like looking at that through the specter of, I mean, that would, you talk. About, I mean, I think it would be a, a project that's even probably bigger than the smell book too. I mean, like it, that's a that's a giant amount of data. Like you're never going to yeah. find every case on that. 
No, of course you're not. But the thing is, you, you know, that, that'll be winnowing down stuff into something that's relevant, most relevant and interesting and fits in with, you know, whatever the, your premise is going to be. Although, you know, you're, you're, some of the data is going to, obviously, if you're, if you're smart, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your premise and, and determine the premise. Right. So, right. yeah. But I, th- I, th- I think it's a great idea. Okay, my second question in 10 minutes here. Um, what, what is just, what idea is, um, are you obsessed with right now or is freaking you out or is you're going, damn, this is great. Um, I got to tell everybody about this or, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that you don't even have to be writing about it. Just something you're just kind of like obsessed with and looking up, you know, doing searches on it and everything. Cause I know you have one or two or three. Um, Yeah. That, um, but can you talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I've been on a big, um, I think I was proselytizing about this back at Paramania. Um, and I believe some of my paramaniacs, God love you, have sort of taken me up on this and looking into this guy's stuff. Um, I have been on for the past, I guess it's about six months now, a big Gordon White kick. Um, I don't know if you know of Gordon White at all. Um, just from you. Yeah, just from me. Um, I consume everything that the guy puts out. Um, uh, I think the world of him. Um, I have to sort of check myself because I, I, I'm falling into one of those things where I'm like, yes, yes, you're right, you're right. Like I, I, I'm trying to challenge myself to disagree with him some. Um, but he is um, he's a fascinating uh, a fascinating guy and uh, – if if you want to talk to Gordon, I will set that up because I would love to hear you guys bounce ideas uh, against each other. Um, sure. Well, y- y- you've probably already pointed me in the direction of some stuff, but if you t- point me in the direction of some reasonably uh, easily uh, uh, digestible stuff so that I can get a, a foothold in it, then maybe we can. Yeah. Because well, has he been in- interviewed by anybody else, really? Um. Yeah, he's been interviewed by a... a, 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 a Good portion of folks. He he has a chaos magic bent, which turns a lot of people off. Um, yeah, so what? We we talked to him on Radio Mysterious. Uh, oh, Radio Mysterious. <laughs> talk, of course you did. In Bizarro Land, um, we talked to him on Where Did the Road Go? Oh, okay. Um, there are two episodes. I'll shoot them your way after this conversation, or once we decide to uh, to shutter the uh, once we decide to shutter the blinds of everybody else for Radio Mysterious. So after dark. Um, yes. But um, I'll send you those those interviews. But he is, um, yeah. What's what's his deal? What what's up with the obsession? Um, he has a very so a lot of his ideas have struck me in that sort of Patrick Harper way of being like this is a super parsimonious way of looking at the world, mm-hmm. and it accounts for a lot of the outliers that I have problems incorporating with other models. That's why he has really struck a nerve with me. Okay. Um. I mean, you know me, I'm not a chaos magician, um, as, as compelling as I find that, um, and as valid as I find some of that stuff, I'm not, that's not what I really listen to. Um, but his thoughts on interpreting, uh, the paranormal through the occult have been a big, a big impact on me. Um, yes. Well, I'm always interested in that. Beyond that, um, somebody else that you, you have got to talk to is John Brandenburg. Which I sort of was sort of aware of him through uh, the higher side chats with Greg Carlwood, but also through um, uh, Gordon White. Are you familiar with John's work? 
Mm-mm. So he's the guy who is he's a uh, he is a plasma physicist, and he has looked at uh, radiation levels on Mars. Um, oh God, what's it called? Xenon one twenty. I know who he is. Because he's been on Coast to Coast when I was working it. So now I know who you're talking about. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, Xenon 132, I think. Um, He thinks that there was a... He's got an after the Martian apocalypse idea. But here's the thing. His science is great. His conclusions are arguable, you know? Yeah. But his science science seems to be on the nose that there was some sort of... Barring some sort of other... Which is a question that I would love to hear asked of him. Yeah, a natural thing. Well, barring some sort of electric universe model natural flare-up, yeah, um, he seems to very much uh, he seems to very much have a, have a strong case that there was some sort of atomic detonation on Mars, or or something, or at least at the very on the least, order of like of, four billion years ago or something. He said there were two, yeah, yeah. and he says one of them is as he's uh, not one. He said as far as he can tell, they came from off outside the planet. Well, and 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 again, let's let's dial back. Let's dial back. Um, let's dial back interpretation from data, right? Yeah. Well, that, like he that's, said that's his extrapol. That's his ex- that's his yeah. exciting extrapolation. Yeah. But, but I would love to hear the two of y'all talk about it. Um, I think he'd be he'd be a great guest. Um, but that's sort of what I'm being interested in too, because you know me, like I'm I'm kind of a I'm, I'm I have evolved quickly into a non-ETH guy, but this is sort of, you know, just when I think that I'm out, they keep on dragging me back in sort of thing. And this is, this is a very compelling little data point that I think. Um, I'm not, an- some- yeah. Uh, you know what? I, you and I, we're not anti-ETH. I'm anti-worshipping the ETH. Right. And, and, I'm, and I'm anti, I'm anti the simplicity that that viewpoint breeds. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it, well, and then I have this natural thing when everybody believes something, I get really suspicious of it. It's just my personality. Right, right, and and I have a um, I have a musician colleague that I've worked with recently, and he found out a while back that I'm interested in this stuff, and he's like complaining about Bob Lazar and all this stuff, and like I just want to look at him and be like, dude, I don't give a shit. <laughs> this is not this is not the sort of stuff that I like. I spend time awake at night about. Like this is not yeah. This isn't my jam, you know. Yeah, exactly. If if you want to talk about talking to me about the problems that you have with Robert Kirk and the Commonwealth of the Fairies, like then I'll listen. Yeah, <laughs> like this is exactly. Not. not yeah, yeah I, I don't. It, it, yeah, that's the other thing. You're the same way as me. It's like if I don't care about it, I just don't care. I'm not going to. It's not interesting, but it's so hard to tell with any of this stuff nowadays. So let's look. I know you, yeah. you, you concentrate on what you want to concentrate on. I mean, it's like people say, what do you think of this latest sighting or whatever? And I go, I don't know anything about it. And a lot of people look at me like, what? How can you not know about this thing? Well, it's my, it's my thing. Because like, I, I don't I, care. It's my go to. And I think I mentioned this. I think I mentioned this. Um, when I was talking with you and Rojan, but maybe I didn't. But like my go to phrase is. Yes, I think there's something to the UFO experience. No, what you think is not what I think. What you think I think is not what I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, well, then explain to me. It's like, I can't really. And I'm not saying this to be a snob or an asshole or anything. It's just like, I can't explain to you in the like, I'm trying to think. If you're a, if you're like, yeah, exactly. I can't put it in a soundbite. I told, I think I told this story one time, somebody at work years ago, like before when I had a different view of this, um, probably 10 or 15 years ago, he asked me, well, what do you think's really going on? 
You know, I said, you don't want to know. It's just, it's just, it's, it's so complicated and, and, and uh, intricate and, and completely unhinged and unhooked from what most people think that it's not going to be comprehensible or interesting to you. Not because I'm smarter. It's just because I've got my personal obsession with it. My parents have been, my parents and my wife, holy shit, have been super tolerant of this bizarre left turn that I took because I was pretty, <laughs> pretty, I was a pretty conventional guy for a lot of my life. Um, yeah. What the hell happened to you? Uh, man, I don't know. It's almost like I had a, yeah, I don't know. Inciting experience. I, I, I can tell you exactly what happened to me, but we'll leave that for, it wasn't anything supernatural. It was just a bunch of free time on my hands, but um, yeah, well, it's kind of what happened to me. My mom ran into some people in her hometown because she, her mom's, we lived 30 minutes from where my mom grew up and she was talking to them and it's like, well, Josh believes all that. Is he a Christian? It's like, Jesus, is this the conversation we're going to have? Yeah. Like of all the conversations that we could have, that's not even the conversation to yeah. have. Like your, your understanding hey, of, yeah. your understanding of the nuance that I have is, yes, is exactly in that sort of question. You know, it's just interest is not belief. What's well, it's, it's it's because there's they they don't have I mean like I hate to I'm not saying that you grow up with a bunch of backwards hicks but no, the, you know no, that's no, no, a, that's the attitude no, 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 no. of like just because you're interested in something that that means you believe in it. it's like but the, I'm so you're saying that somebody this is the same thing with somebody said I shouldn't be interviewing um uh, one of my my first wife said I shouldn't be interviewing or dealing with uh what's his name um um uh Irinehorn. I said, so does that mean that anybody that's ever interviewed a serial killer is therefore supporting them and is, by by extension, a serial killer? That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it doesn't. But I guess what I was reacting to more in that conversation was like, I don't want to disparage somebody for thinking for, for not putting the time in to think about this because I am in a position to be privileged to have time to think about this. Right. Um, so that's what I'm trying, trying to sort of, you know, um, in my lefty male white sort of apologetic way trying to <laughs> trying to reconcile yes um, i'm sorry if i insulted anybody or anybody in your family by saying that but i was just you know oh, that dude they're gonna they're gonna come after you with knives and pitchforks I, yeah i hope so <laughs> it's no, it's no, just no, that no. I, I i can't understand like it's that old george carlin thing some people think that if you if you talk about things they might happen yeah and it's just again like my thing is Talking and thinking are very different than doing. Like, again, and, yeah. as, as I've mentioned multiple times, my my father in law, God bless him, is a Baptist preacher, and uh-huh. the fact that he tolerates that I am involved in the stuff that I'm involved in is like it's a blessing. And like the guy has mellowed out, like you wouldn't believe. Like that's amazing. I mean, well, considering what I know about Baptists, no, it's and, and, and <laughs> or think I know, know. <laughs> considering what I know about him, it's amazing too. Yeah. Um, but. What I try to get people to understand, and I think what I've sort of brought him around to, in, on is, is um, I have an I have a sense of ambiguity about these things, and that's okay. Like it's okay that I don't have it figured out. It's okay that I don't know how this fits into my cosmology, as you know, as as um, well, I guess we began the began the conversation started talking about Christianity. We're going to end it too. Um, <laughs> as a Christian, I don't have an, I don't have an idea of exactly how this fits into my cosmology. I just know that there's too many things going on for me to to deny its existence outright because it's plenty in my head. The damn sand. Um, yeah. And yeah, either be interested or not, but don't make a, a crusade out of it. I guess. Right. And 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 I can I can work I can work its existence into the way that I perceive the world and the way that I deal with the way that I deal with. Um, what I affectionately call the other mm-hmm. God, the universe, the cosmos. Yeah, um, I can I can work out how I interface with that and how 
possibly Fey folk mythology and Sasquatch and spirits and, uh, and, the, and the UFO thing might fit into that while not saying that that is the way that it works. Um, so, you know, I've been on, I've been a little bit of a mission lately to, to sort of hopefully encourage people to see like you can, you can have, you can be a, you don't have to be a completely constantly agnostic or a constantly woo person or a constant, you know, right. To, 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 to sort of engage with these things. Like there's, there's a, it's okay to live with the, uh, ambiguity. Well, you know, <laughs> it's okay to sit with the messiness of the mystery, as Terry would say, um, as Saint 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 Terry would say. Yes. Um, uh, I just I just wish that more people would do that because I think that uh, I think the world be, would be a more tolerant place if we could just all, you know, live with live with the messiness of our own personal lives and yeah. Well, it's that, that meme or whatever it was that came. You know, it wasn't a meme. It was a, a quote from somebody. The problem is that people that are, um, the people that are circumspect are quiet and unsure, and the people that are absolutely certain of themselves are loud and pushy. Well, it's it's the it's the old uh, William Butler Yeats Second Coming thing, right? Um, the uh, the best are full of what was it the uh, the uh, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of uh, passionate intensity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you 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 yeah you narrowed it down to the the actual quote or very close to it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just smart because of Google's. And you retain things which I don't. <laughs> well, no. The only reason I know this, I actually um, another bizarre tangent. I played a um, I should really I should send it. You probably dig it. Um, played a piece for percussion and tuba. Based off of that uh, that William Butler Yeats poem called uh, "And What Rough Beast," which is basically a piece for tuba and percussion about the uh, apocalypse. <laughs> so you played that. that. That's that, that's not the one you no you you composed a classical piece. Yeah, I composed I composed one. Um, I composed one uh, called "Asgard's Ryan," um, which the tuba ensemble that I composed it for affectionately called it "Asgarden." because um, <laughs> they're super players um, but uh, it's about um, Asgard's Ryan was the Nordic name for the wild hunt which was the uh, the common European belief that spirits um, some in some cases Odin's uh, retinue in some cases the uh, the fairy folk um, would ride across the sky especially on like the solstice Midsummer's Eve etc um, and would actually um sweep up and abduct anyone who was uh, found out that night. Um, and so I wrote a piece for uh, Tuba Ensemble. So it's actually uh, three tubas and three euphoniums <laughs> um, that uh, has been played by the University of Georgia, University of Wisconsin, and uh, the Eastman School of Music, which is... Um, that's always that was a that's a real feather in my cap. I'm proud of yeah, Eastman doing yeah. the same. As Eastman's sort of a... What are you opening there? Are you, are you pulling something out of a case? Um, no, I, I'm digging... <laughs> Are you going to play the tuba? Um, there's there's a tuba here, but it's not. I mean, it's an, it's a it's a loner E flat, so I'm not. Um, I'm not going to do something, but it wouldn't be. No, I was I was just going to uh, external hard drive so I could find that uh, in what rough beast for you after we go off air. But I oh, didn't okay, know it was, I didn't know it was out loud. Jeez, sorry. <laughs> you just have a really good microphone, I guess. Hey, that's that's a. Uh, it's not a bad thing to have. Um, yeah, I've well, been, I've been told that I sound boomier in here because we, you know, we moved and there's still like 
not a lot of stuff on the walls. So I've been told it's boomier in here than it has been in the, in the oh, months yeah, past. Yeah, new place. It's all going to be all echoey for a while. Yeah. You don't have enough stuff in there. So you get the scuzz on the walls. You got to get some scuzz on those walls. Yeah, exactly. Wow, we still have listeners. I can't believe it. Hi, listeners. Thanks for staying with us. Okay, probably now I will go and uh, do a couple things that might make me some money before I go to sleep. So is there a track you want to end with here? I kind of wanted to pick one of my uh, one of my favorite autumnal tunes, which is um, okay. Murder, Murder in the Red Barn by Tom Waits. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, 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 I love you. There's not a lot of good... Uh, not a lot of good uh, October brass band tunes. Oh, it's on Bone Machine, huh? Okay. Yeah. I have that album. That My favorite is Rain Dogs because it came out at a time when I needed to hear it, I think. Well, I've always equated, I've always equated Tom Waits with, like, learning to like bourbon. Like, that, that, <laughs> That's that, exactly what he's for. <laughs> that, 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 first, that, first, that first track or that first drink is like, oh, God. But, you know, before you know it, it's like 3 a.m., you've listened to the whole album, and you're, you know... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the and the bourbon's half gone or mostly gone. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um Murder in the Red Barn by Tom Waits. I remember this song. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's 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 sets the perfect uh stage for autumn, I think. All right. Thank you Joshua Cutchin for coming on this sh- uh on my program uh again and uh talking about the new book and also um granting me the first interview for the new book. No, this was this was great. It was um I wanted to wanted to make sure that you uh that we had a chance to talk about it because I um I <laughs> I I think a lot of your opinion as evidenced by the fact that I solicited you for a poll quote. So, there we go. <laughs> but thank you so much Greg for having me on. Um Thanks Greg. Thy neighbor's house.
took you off in chains. Sky turned black and bruised and bad. Months of heavy rains. Now the rainbow's nest in the rotted roof of Genoa's little place. And no one's asking Cal about that scar on his face. Cause there's nothing strange about an axe with blood stains in the barn. There's always some killing you got to do around the farm. Oh, <laughs> 